Welcome to Weird Kit Video. I'm Kimrel Snape and I miss video stores so much I opened one in my own home, packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-host Kira Jade Opitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around and sign up for a membership. This is Weird Kid Video. Old business? I have old business. Ooh. I also have old business. Do you want to go first? Double old business. I don't know. What's yours? Double yours good old, old business? Mine's, business. Good, mine's positive old business. Mine's yours. also positive old business. I'll go first. Okay. We got another review. We did? Oh, we did. Shit. Holy shit. Oh, shit. You li- <laughs> I asked you that earlier and you lied to me. <laughs> this is a podcast of lies. I didn't lie. I just didn't actually answer you. That's <laughs> an omission is a lie. I just said, and then I'm going to check lie, Instagram. It's a lie you don't say <laughs> Uh, an omission is a, a lie you don't say out loud. So you need to tell us the deepest fear or... or Get ready. Or, 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 or I, I have one something. already. <laughs> you're, you're chambered and ready to go. This one is an actual horror for me. Okay. Okay. Mm. Well, good. Tune in Fits. for the end of the, the pod. End of the end of the podcast. This is this is a good good review. It's a five star review. Title of the uh, review is "Love This Show" and it's from Miss March Twenty. Oh. I love you, Miss March. <laughs> Weird Kid Video is my go-to podcast if I need a laugh or I'm just looking to hear about movies I've never, I never would have heard about otherwise. The hosts are funny, informative, and bounce off each other to deliver an amazingly hilarious podcast. If I could give it a six out of five stars, I would. Holy shit! Do we know that person? We have to know that. <laughs> that person, gave me right? goosebumps. Has to be I've never had anything nice like that kind. said to me. Strangers are not that kind. <laughs> Miss March twenty. If we I, know you. Tell us who you are. Yeah. Reveal yourself. I don't think we do because Ellie's already yeah. given a review yeah. and that's not her name. And we're, as far as we know, she's our only female listener. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, really nice, Miss nice. March. Thank you. Thank you well, very thank much. Well, thank you. That's fantastic. Brody will uh, tell you one of his darkest fears at the end of the podcast. Yeah, maybe she was just doing it so she can ruin my life when she hears my fears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe she was. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a ploy. <laughs> My old business is a uh, is also positive, which is weird because you know I'm not, yeah life anyway. <laughs> this is a PSA about uh, signing up for Arnold Schwarzenegger's email newsletter because do it. Okay. <laughs> I forgot you told us about you that. Have mentioned I have mentioned before. it before. Yeah, this week's one was great. There was a whole section about not letting generational heart masquerading as heritage into your heart. <laughs> okay, it was fucking amazing. Really, and then and then he just like talked about how great Jamie Lee Curtis was and working how great working with her was and how he's so happy that she got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and that she should have been the build as the co-lead of True Lies. Oh, it's fantastic. And then he wrapped it up with some pictures, some very cute pictures of him and Stallone hanging out with his donkeys and carving pumpkins together. <laughs> he's fucking so wholesome. It's kind of shocking. <laughs> anyway, so do yourself a favor and sign up for Schwarzenegger's newsletter. It's w- such a good time. I was going to save this for the pod, but Ellie gushes over uh, JLC. She loves her. And she's the greatest. She hasn't seen True Lies. Oh my god! Well, you uh, love the show. We've talked about right. That's a problem. That's like it doesn't exist. In that's HD. like probably going to be the evening watch. <laughs> Good luck with that. New business. New business. New business. This week. We're telling ghost stories and paying for the sins of our ancestors. We are talking about John Carpenter's The Fog from 1980. John Carpenter's The Fog. This is KB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. 
over 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unnatural came out of the fog. Now, it has returned. One hundred years ago, between midnight and one, something evil came out of the fog. Now, it has returned. Who's there? The fog. Antonio Bay has a curse on it. We're all cursed. There's no water getting here, but something off a cold pin. I think I'll go to Vancouver now. Where's the fog now? Well, it should be right outside my door now. Oh, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door! Someone listen to me! Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. Stay away from the fog. From the creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Lee as Kathy Williams, and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. The Fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you. Fuck. Yeah. This is, can I just say, strongest start to a movie in a while, I reckon. We'll talk about it when we get yeah, to it. Yeah, okay. Please. Oh, fuck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Also, fog doesn't move that quickly, right? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the fog. Just to be if clear. it's haunted by ghosts, it might. Are you suddenly worried that you'll have to deal with a lot more fog as you continue your life? I've driven through fog before. It's never been moving. I've seen fog come quickly. Yeah. With, with the wind. Can. Not okay. against the wind. Yeah. True. Yeah. Okay. So it can, I, I thought that if the wind was going quickly, it would dissipate the fog. No, it can move the fog quite quickly. Okay. And I've driven through ghost pirates before, and I'm worried about their speed as well. I don't think it was accurate in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I agree. <laughs> Directed by John Carpenter. Yay. Wow, this is a John Carpenter film. Oh, right? absolutely. Oh. From, top to, from yeah. top to bottom. So my background info for this movie is mostly from the audio commentaries on the discs for this movie, as well as the special feature making ofs, which are on the Blu-ray. And yeah, Carpenter's my guy. Mm. Carpenter is 100% my guy. He's probably tied for my favorite filmmaker of all time. Uh, Ridley, 
Ridley Scott. Yeah, great shout. Those two together, very different, but also have aspects where they might be similar. But They're both strong, ridiculously strong visualists. Yes, right? thank you. Yeah. And I don't love every Ridley, I'm just you know, detouring to Ridley for a second. I don't love every Ridley Scott movie, but my love of Ridley comes from his attitude towards the craft. Okay. Right. So I may not like his like a movie he makes, but his attitude towards filmmaking and his approach to filmmaking as a as a director is one hundred percent my jam. And same with Carpenter. Carp- the way that Carpenter approaches movies is just like I can't this, think. And Carpenter's so fucking singular. Like there's nobody else that's like John. Yeah. Carpenter. There's lots of people that try to rip off John Carpenter, but nobody is like Carpenter. I can't think if there's any movies of theirs that I don't like. Though I feel like there's one or two of Ridley's that I don't like. But quite a few. I don't think that I can not like it. John Carpenter one because his style is what I really like about him. There is one John Carpenter movie that I don't like. What's that? I'm not going to tell you. Ah. Yeah. In, and in a I way where we're going to watch it? No, we're, ne- we're never going to see it, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> just not, right. I, I just like, like to, set up with no I just, like yeah. to, I just like to pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, and I'd watch a movie at his a drop of a hat. I mean, I've already watched many of his films this year. I watch his movies all the time. Like I put his movies on for comfort, for fun, for to study. It's just yeah. he's like my all time one of my all time guys. Do you do you just side question? Do you often just sit and watch a certain movie for like your own directorial study? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I've never really thought about. Also, that. we'll watch movies in different ways. Okay, like a really good way to this is a this is a hack. This is filmmaking hack. Okay, if you want to learn about lighting, turn the color off in your television. Interesting. You watch Blade Runner in black and white. And you can see where the light is shining and where the light's falling. You can see how the how the shots are built and composed. That's in a way that the color is not distracting. Have you ever taught at all? No. Interesting. I mean, only you two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And others. Yeah, only people that you've worked with only and had to teach them because they sucked. <laughs> yeah. You can do the same thing with the fog. You can turn off turn off the color and watch this movie. Yeah. And you will learn about how it's made. Yeah. It's a gr- it's a great hack. Interesting. Some background on Carpenter. Now, I'm not going to do his whole career because we're going to talk about Carpenter so many times. So we're just going to talk about where he was in his career in the movie that we're in the movie that we're watching. The kind of brief background is is that he grew up in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He grew up watching old Howard Hawks and John Ford westerns and science fiction movies like The Thing from Another Planet. Cool. And Forbidden Planet, and they're what inspired him to make to make movies. All of his movies are secretly westerns. Yeah, every single one of his movies. Yeah, he started making eight millimeter short films with his friends, and then when he was an adult, he moved to LA to go to film school. But he dropped out of film school to turn his never graduated because mm-hmm. he was like, "Fuck this shit." Yeah, I know what I'm doing because that's John Carpenter's attitude. Yeah, to turn his student film Dark Star into a feature film. Okay, that, so that's his first feature film. That is it movie. Good? Of, yeah, it's fun. It's like a it's a really dark satire of like two thousand and one. Cool, cool, cool. And it was co written by Dan O'Banion, who would go on to write Alien. Oh heck. Dan O'Banion's also in the movie. He is uh, one of the actors in the movie. Uh-huh. And it's like a it's a it's an independent movie where they everything is just handmade. Dope. I've mentioned it previously on, you the, have, on, the, yeah. on the podcast, yeah. It's good fun. You just gotta go into it knowing that it's that a it's a student movie. That became a feature. Yeah. Yeah. It's still very well accomplished for what it is. It's just yeah. that they had no money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The fog is the movie he made right after Halloween. It's his next movie. Right. Didn't Halloween. Oh, right after Halloween. Yes. Wait, didn't Halloween come out after? No. Halloween's oh. 1978. Halloween was the, Oh, this movie is 1980. Oh, it was shot. There's a Halloween that came out in 81. So that must be number two. 
Yes. Right, okay. And then Season of the Witch is, 80, is 82. Right, okay. Right. Oh, I thought Halloween was after this. Okay. No, because Halloween was a big hit, he basically ended up with a two-picture deal to do whatever the fuck he wanted, and this was the first movie that he chose to go with after yeah. After Halloween. And we see two actors from Halloween in this film. Quite a few. Carpenter yeah. always reuses people. There's heaps of people in this movie that are going to I thought I recognised some in, more. And either been in other movies or will go on to be in other movies. Okay. And I'll talk about it as we, cool, as cool, we cool. usually do. Yeah, Carpenter's on his way up. The movie he made after this is Escape from New York. Shit. That was the second picture in the two-picture deal that he made with Avco Embassy Pictures. Okay. Avco. Like, I've never heard of them before. Did oh, they, they were an in independent. Yeah, they're gone. They're long gone. Oh, okay. They're, yeah, they were. Didn't heard. become something else just No, died. no, no. They just died. They got cool. absorbed into something else. I think they're, well, they're owned by Studio Canal. The library's owned by Studio Canal now. Right, right, right. Uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. So written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who's co-writer on Halloween. Carpenter and Hill were inspired to create this movie by H.P. Lovecraft stories. Dope. Yeah, I can see that. John Carpenter's love of EC Comics. (sighs) Vault of Horror, Tales from the Crypt, which has now become a theme on the show. A very interesting foggy visit to Stonehenge while they were promoting Assault on (laughs) Precinct 13. Uh, which may have been the birth of two different ideas for movies. That's awesome. Yeah. You're weaving such wicked webs, Ken. Yep. <laughs> a British horror movie from the 1950s called The Crawling Eye about a monster that emerges from a strange radioactive cloud. Dive. Uh, as well as a real-life deliberate sinking of a ship called The Frolic in California in the 19th century. Huh. Because it used to be a thing. Wreckers. Okay. Wrecking ships deliberately and stealing their loot was, a, was uh, absolutely sure. a form of piracy that existed. Sure. And yeah, starring a lot of people. It's an ensemble cast of very familiar Carpenter faces. But they wouldn't have been big at this point? I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis was just in one of the biggest movies of all time. Yeah, the main But everybody else is just working actors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the faces look familiar. Yeah. Starting with Adrian Barbeau as DJ Stevie Wayne. She was John Carpenter's brand new wife. Oh, wow. She At the looks, time of this movie being made. Wait. Have we seen her in a movie on the pod already? No. Oh, she looks very familiar. She's familiar because she's in other Carpenter movies. Oh, she's gorgeous, wait, by the way. Yeah, Kira's isn't got a she, question. Isn't he with Deborah Hill? Not anymore. Ah. Not when this movie is made. So they so, broke up after Halloween. Mm-hmm. So was it she amicable? Married him, Can I, he, he married her and then, but aren't they together again when they write Halloween 3? No. He's, oh, they're just friends. They're just friends. Oh, that's good. They were friends and producing partners. I have so much to talk about in terms of in terms Don't of. Don't they get married at I'm some point? I'm glad that no, they were, Deborah Hill and, and John Carpenter were never married. Did they get back together? No. Okay. I love that I didn't pick that up at all. Sarah's <laughs> like, I have so much more to talk about. I'm about to tell you another piece of information that makes it very interesting. Dope. Okay. So this is Adrian Barbeau's first movie. She met Carpenter when he directed a TV movie right before Halloween called Someone's Watching Me. He was watching her. Okay, so <laughs> she met him. On a TV movie before he shot Halloween with his then, then girlfriend, Deborah was, Hill. Was, and then they broke and then, up. And, and then, then she, he was with this lady. He and was then, married by when they made The Fog. Very and he newly. never got back together with Deborah Hill. No, but they continued to work together. It was it? Can can we have a little bit of insight on that? Because I I'm no. a fan of very amicable breakups, and I respect that. I, I will, but I'm going to talk about it later. Okay. I didn't okay. actually expect Fakira to pick up on that so quickly. I, it totally. So went I over have my head. some stuff prepared. So if you hold on, okay, I'll pay it off later. Right? Thank you. Appreciate that. Adrian Barbo originated the role of Rizzo in Greece on Broadway. Ah, yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah, yeah she totally. could definitely pull that off. I love and the name Adrian. 
Adrienne Barbeau. Mm. It's a great name. Yeah. Yeah. And she would go on to star in Escape from New York. Oh, shit. Okay. Yep. Okay, okay. She's okay. Brains Offsider in Escape from New York. She's also in The Cannonball Run. She's in Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. She's oh. the voice of the computer in The Thing. Oh. Right? And she's in George A. Romero's Creep Show, which I have now also mentioned as the off-brand Tales from the Crypt movie. Yeah. So did she start as like a voice actor? Because she has some like vocal no. acting chops. No, she's just a good actor, good okay. voice actor. Yeah. She's in a Charles Band movie. Oh, nice. Called Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. Oh, fucking yes. Is that on the list? No, I've never Damn seen it. it. Never seen it. It should be on the list. And she's still working. For Brody specifically, she's Maria Murdoch in the short-lived Live-action version of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, wait, 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 Who is she? Maria Murdoch? I don't know who the fuck that is. Maria Murdoch. I expected you just to know who that was because you love Cowboy Bebop. I do, but, you know, side characters and me with names. Oh, yeah, there's that. 100% is the, ca- the terrorist. It, oh, that's such good casting. She would pull off a beautiful older lady, and that's exactly who that terrorist is. In the... Swamp rats or something like that? Venusian space rats? Just saying words. Yeah, I words love Cowboy Bebop. Sorry. He, he really does. He tries to name all of his D&D characters. <laughs> even though he's not allowed. <laughs> he's not allowed to call all his, all his D&D characters Bebop, so he calls them other names that start with B. Yes. I don't know if you've realised yet, but my characters usually have BM as their initials too. <laughs> yeah, we noticed. <laughs> so obvious. <laughs> Tom Atkins as Nick Castle. Nick Castle being the the name of John Carpenter's best friend and the guy that plays the shape in Halloween. Ah, I'm starting to become a fan of this guy. Oh, you will be. Yeah. You will continue to do so. And is it like an inside joke in whatever movies he's in <laughs> uh, that he just gets every girl without it took, trying? It took 15 minutes. <laughs> but like, is it, is I it said like to an Kira, inside joke? I said to Kira, I bet you that this is going to be a thing. We're going to talk about it, but I want to talk about it in the con- within the context of the movie. The funny thing is, is like, I can understand some kind of charm and appeal and attraction to him. But like, I was sitting there watching this with Ellie and Ellie was like, that guy has the biggest head I've ever seen. And then throughout the movie, she was always just like, is he wearing a turtleneck to like hide his chin? Like <laughs> she just could not find attraction to him at, at any point. She'll turn. <laughs> <laughs> I talked about Atkins last episode, so I go back and listen to Halloween 3 to find mm. out about his many roles in John Carpenter directed and or produced movies, as well as his other roles. This was his first Carpenter movie, and he was suggested to Carpenter by Adrian Barbeau. Ah. I think they must have worked together before. I really do he enjoy has, him. He has so, he has this really understated charisma. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. No iconic mustache in this movie, which I think was a mistake. I agree. I agree. I think they tried to age him down a little bit. Come back at the end when I dock this movie half a star for a lack of mustache. <laughs> Fucking Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh my God. She is a Sully. baby in this film. She's an absolute baby, but well, still- Gorgeous, always. So this is the movie she made right after Halloween, which yeah. is her first movie. Was it her first movie? Her first I didn't movie. know that. She's done some TV, but Halloween. I think is her you first told movie. me that before, actually. Yeah. The same year as this movie, she would make Prom Night and Terror Train. Prom Night. Yeah, it's another slasher movie. Ah. So is Terror Train. I feel like that other. was a modern movie. There is a remake. Ah. There is an early two thousands remake of Prom Night. Cool, 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 cool. The year after this, she would return to Halloween Two and the Ozploitation thriller classic Road Games. 
Oh, my God. Is that on the list? It's rear window in the outback with trucks and cars on a highway. And yes, it is on the list. Fuck yeah. I'm glad that at least one Australian exploitation movie is on there. Oh, there's going to be more than one. Are you kidding me? Have but you he met said Cam? that's a separate pod. <laughs> yeah, but he's realistic. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. And, and she's Jamie Lee fucking Curtis. Like, Jesus Christ. JLC. Movies I've heard that I love aside from Halloween and this movie. A Fish Called Wanda, Blue mm-hmm. Steel, My Girl, True Lies. My Girl. Halloween H20, Knives Out, the new Halloween movies. Knives Out. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Ah. Yes. God, she's so versatile. And again for Brody, the upcoming Borderlands movie. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's already shot and finished. Comes out I next, just got goosebumps. Comes out next year. Oh, yes. That's I, I, I hope it's good. I know you love Borderlands. I fucking am addicted to it. Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. Holbrook had a really long acting career. He debuted in Sydney Lumet's The Group in 1966. Mm. And he kept going until 2017 with one episode roles in both Grey's Anatomy and Hawaii Five-O reboot. There we go. They're his, his last roles because he has passed away. Kira would know him as Assistant Secretary of State Albie Duncan in two episodes of The West Wing. Hey, yeah. I thought he looked familiar. His voice is so familiar. He's got that twang. He played Mark Twain a lot on stage. Uh-huh. He's got that Mark Twain twang right. the, or that you imagine Mark Twain having. If he's you good. do imagine Mark Twain. I can imagine him as Mark a Twain. stage actor. He, he's, a, he's a lot of fun. Yep. Mm. He had a very small role, but was very fun. Yeah, I know him as Deep Throat. In All the President's Men, ah. the most exciting movie ever made about typing and phone calls. <laughs> Seriously, that movie's fucking thrilling. And it is. 90% of it is just people typing at, at keyboards and and, ask, and asking questions on telephone. It's yeah. really amazing. That's a good movie. He's okay. in Creepshow with Tom Atkins and Adrian Barbeau, hey. which Go. was after this. Uh, and not much else that we would talk about on the podcast, but a very storied career. Yeah. Long, Speaking long of moustaches, he's got a killer one. Yeah, he does too. Like, yeah, he's he's got Tom Atkins mustache. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. Okay, well, wait. Maybe there's a reason that Hal Holbrook, being the more seasoned actor, wasn't willing to shave his mustache, <laughs> and Carpenter didn't want to have two dudes with a mustache so that people would get visually confused. Therefore, he made Tom Atkins shave his mustache. Ken, do you not know of the mustache hierarchy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, You're insane. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Other casts I'll talk about as they appear because there's quite a lot quite a lot of them. Mm. It is an ensemble picture. Trailers, no trailers. My Tape of the Fog is absolutely trashed, so we had to resort to watching this movie the old-fashioned way or the new-fashioned way, digitally and or on physical media. I bought the 4K disc this week. So Are you going to tell the that. story of the 4K oh, disc? Wait, man, I feel like it would have been dope. <laughs> oh, no, the 4Ks. I will talk about the 4K in a minute. I did like the black. I, anyway. So, yeah, so unfortunately we weren't able to actually watch my VHS tape to figure out, and I couldn't even put it, I couldn't even get it to play to figure out what the trailers were. So I'm sure there were trailers, but... We're going to have so much to talk about because it's a junk yeah. movie, so we'll just live without it. Who's going to recap the premise of The Fog? I think I got it this week. Okay. Uh, you seem confident. Yeah, he always does, though. Pirate ghosts come to town in a fog and try to kill people. That's an elevator pitch, right? That's what we're doing. You got the length there. I like the idea of comes to town because it gives the impression that they, like, drove in. <laughs> they do, kind of, in one scene. <laughs> Three ghosts in a fog. Yeah. Have a big nine on Antonio, in Antonio Bay. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a good one, but like I was doing this like as I was going to sleep last night. I was like, the the log line is basically pirate ghosts and fog. That's it. The blockbuster guide to movies and videos from nineteen ninety eight, the entry for the fog. Positive or negative? Goes a little something oh, like this. It better be positive. I reckon positive. A shipload of zombies comes in with the fog to wreak havoc 
on what used to be a peaceful town. Ambitious endeavour with eerie shots of the fog rolling in, but not one of Carpenter's most effective efforts. Three stars. I think that's fair. Are they zombies? I mean, no. I suppose no. they're kind of. I mean, they're ghosts. They fit the very loose definition of zombies, but I would think that they are ghosts. They're kind yeah. of a cross between, but, I yeah. guess, because you can hit them, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. whenever you see. Whenever you see, like, pirate ghosts, it's it's weird that anytime, like, in my mind anyway, when you refer to pirate ghosts, they are corporeal. Yeah, unless they're nice ones. Nice ones tend to be not corporeal. True, true. Okay, yeah, but I like, mean, that's true. But, like, pirate ghosts always seem to be corporeal in the sense that they're waterlogged in some kind of capacity. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of inherent dampness. Yeah. I mean, it comes from having drowned at sea. It's funny how that visual language like changes depending on where it is. Like mm-hmm. if it's a if it's a ghost on land, no, they're incorporeal and they hold houses mm-hmm. and go through walls. If they're on sea, yeah, no, they're waterlogged and you know have seaweed on them. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jared Maslin of the New York Times did not review this. Ah! This could have been because John Carpenter was pretty big at this point. This could have been an option. I don't think she worked at the New York Times this early, oh, on, guys. Oh. What? I think that you guys are not realizing that she only worked at the New York Times for a particular period. Of time. Oh man! What period of time was it then? I think it's from the late '80s through to the to 2000. We need an early '80s person. Well, we have Vincent Camby of the New York Times. Vincent Camby, all right. Cool. Who we've, we've had him a few him times. A few times. Yeah. Okay. okay. So Vincent Camby, we have to get excited v. about I'll, him. I will. I will. In February, Maybe he won't block us on Twitter if we find him. Maybe. <laughs> oh no. He, in February of 1980, he wrote. Just 100 years ago, six leading citizens of a small northern California community of Port Antonio did a nasty thing. And then I've just cut out the recap of the opening of the movie. This bit of intriguing exposition, I mean, have you ever before heard a ghost story about rich lepers? I mean, they are pirates. Opens John Carpenter's new film, The Fog. Having given us a substantial start on a spooky, comfortably old-fashioned ghost story, Mr. Carpenter appears to forget what kind of movie he wants to make. (laughs) The Fog is neither a rewarding ghost story, nor is it science fiction, although it borrows freely from both genres. The fog that precedes the ghost seems to have a life and intelligence of its own, unconnected with the ghosts. And though the dead lepers would seem to have access to important supernatural powers, they are surprisingly slow on the uptake. Why, one wonders, didn't they come back before? Unlike Halloween, which was a model of straightforward terror and carefully controlled suspense, the fog is constructed of random diversions. There are too many storylines which necessitate so much cross-cutting that no one sequence can ever build to a decent climax. The movie looks quite pretty, but prettiness of this of this sort is besides the point in such a film. In addition to Mr. Hausman, who gets on and off the screen fast, the cast includes Janet Lee and Jamie Lee Curtis, Hal Holbrook, Adrian Barbeau, Mrs. Carpenter, Tommy Atkins, Nancy Loomis, and then Charles Cyphers. None of them disguises the fact the material is thin. Was there too many storylines? I don't I don't think that's untrue. I think there is it, it does it it has some foibles, but I think also there's fun in this movie, which that review doesn't doesn't acknowledge. Yeah, and it and it really is fun for a horror. It's it's. I very didn't feel fun. like there were too many storylines. Like you're following different characters, but they're all in the same storyline. Yeah. like they're just coming at it from different perspectives. But I don't didn't feel like we were cutting between things too much. I, I can see the criticism when you like the radio and the couple and the kid at the house and the Yeah, but the thing. radio was always connected to everybody else. I agree. So it was like And they all they all like I've described it before, they were all in the sink, like spiraling towards the sinkhole. You know yeah. what I mean? They all had a purpose and a and a connection. Yeah. But they I understand like the whole, if your car is going somewhere and 
you hear something on the radio and you slam your brakes on and change something where else, like when they go save the mm. kid, there needs to be like, I felt like that was a bit disjointed. So I see the criticism, but I also don't, I don't think, think it's Yeah, I, don't, it's I disagree. Enough. I think that that was connected. I think that was where those two storylines are the same storyline because they've spoken to each other. They know that that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, true. The only people who are really disconnected from that are the church people who haven't spoken to everybody else yet. True. But they're still connected because they're still all dealing with fog and ghosts and lepers. Agreed. It's just people have different pieces of information. I disagree with Vincent. Strong disagreement. I'm like, yeah, I can see, but I still disagree. We're going to save my feelings for this movie as we we kind of talk through it. That's not my feelings about the movie. That's just my feelings about About that review. About that review and my feelings and my feelings and that and that review intersect in particular ways. So I'm not going to blow my interest how I feel. So you guys can kind of talk about the movie without my influence. Cool. My backstory for this movie is that this movie creeped the fuck out of me as a kid. Really? My dad rented it and I was not having a good time. The ghosts are scary. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to watch something else. He left the room briefly and I fast forwarded the movie so that it would end sooner. Wow. Hoping he would not notice. He noticed. And he noticed. And then I didn't see it for for a lot of years. Yeah, it's a pretty cute story. That is adorable. Yeah. And I feel like I've definitely like had to do that. Like as I feel like as a boy growing up, you're not allowed to be scared of things. You know what I mean? I was allowed to be scared of things. I I feel like I had to always be brave. You know what I mean? And I'd be watching horror movies, shitting myself going, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. But I would just like have to I think that's probably a little bit to do with being a little brother and not wanting to be picked on by your siblings. It's probably a bit different when like your dad's not going to pick on you for being scared as a, five-year-old watching a horror movie. Yeah, and also having an extremely toxic like, Well, apparently they, uh, he is going to make you sit and watch <laughs> the rest of the movie. Yeah, that's true. And then I didn't see it for a lot of, for a lot of years, but then as I was into kind of my, my teens and becoming obsessed with filmmakers, and especially Carpenter, and then seeking out every movie they've ever made, I revisit, re- revisited it then, and I wasn't really into it. So it's probably one of his movies I've actually seen the least. Mm, interesting. But he loves the score. And I'd, yeah, I do love the score. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. And I'd already watched this movie earlier this year because okay. I just do that. And I watched it five and a half times this week. Okay. Five and a half times. Interesting. I would love to know why, but I feel like you're going to tell us why later. No, I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. I watched it in HD once because I rented it from YouTube. I watched it on Blu-ray after I had bought it so that I could listen to John and Deborah's commentary. Cool. I watched it once in 4K because 4K. Yeah. Again on Blu-ray for Atkins, Barbo, and Tommy Lee Wallace's commentary. Ooh. And again in HD to break it down. Yep. And then I sat through the last half last night with Kira after I'd finished writing my notes because she was watching it then five and a half times. It seems like a great time to talk about the the, the 4K. Uh, Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting to next. So in terms of how to track this movie down, there is a Shout Factory 4K and a regular 4K from Studio Canal who owns the rights to it. Do not buy the Studio Canal. Do not buy. The transfer is really bad and the whole 4K image is flickery. The letterbox bars at the top and bottom flicker. It's trash. What's Shout Factory? And it totally flicks out at the end. Shout Factory is like a boutique distributor. They release like deluxe versions of movies and usually they pay for like shiny new transfers of things. So you're getting like the best quality out of it. Oh, good on them. Thank you, Shout Factory. The regular Studio Canal one is awful. What happens at the end of the Canal one? Well, it's at the end of like the credits. So you get to the end of the movie and that's all good. And then it like, go, when all like 
you know, the like picture the picture broke up and it like and, it couldn't uh, like it de- <laughs> couldn't decode the image. I put a different 4K disc into my Xbox because that's how I watch 4K movies. Sure. The software that runs the the Blu-ray software was so fucked out that it wouldn't decode the video of the next disc. So I oh had to God. hard reset my Xbox oh my in God. order to be able to watch another 4K disc. Like it fucked out the encoder. Wow. Yeah. That's terrible. From a, Probably from a software point of view. And, yeah, the quality, like normally, because he put on Lost Boys afterwards, 4K transfer nice. of Lost Boys, and that looks beautiful yeah. in, in 4K. And by comparison, it's the, like the fog is a good-looking movie, but you can tell this isn't a good-looking 4K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because normally you can just tell when you're watching a 4K, you're like, oh, look at all the detail. Oh, okay. Like, I, never, then, I never do that. I love that that you guys do that. <laughs> yeah. Especially with older movies or movies that you that you know quite well but you haven't seen in 4K. It's always yeah. like because you know what that image looks like. You and have it in your brain. Yeah. So when you see it and it's the same image but it's better quality, you do yeah. notice. Yeah. So like Lost Boys. And you also notice detail times. you've never seen before. Yeah, that I, happens a lot with Key and he freaks out because he's like, look at that thing in the background of that kid's yeah. room. Like I had I've that already, when I was in there. Like I've always <laughs> known that – I've maybe known it was there or, or spotted something in the background but I can actually see clearly what it is mm. on the 4K. That's because awesome. it's as close as you're ever going to get to watching the film, the f- original 35 millimeter mm. film. So the fog is not streaming in Australia, but as I said, you can rent it on YouTube in HD. Uh, that it has, seems surprising. Like I feel like that movie is it's because of Studio Canal. It's been on SBS on demand a few times over the years, that but it's not right. currently there at the moment. So just keep an eye on it. I'm sure it'll come back. You know, check out Just Watch and you can find it in your part of the world. Definitely cool. feels like the kind of movie that would be on late at night on on SBS. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk our way through the the fog. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> I feel like Brody has a lot of takes. I I I don't. I want to actually ask you guys a bunch of things or you like hear you guys talk about a bunch of things. That's Intriguing. that's good. I'm excited. Mm. So, we open with an Edgar Allan Poe quote. Mm. Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream. This was Deborah Hill's idea to kind of start with a little bit of creepiness, a little yeah. bit of set a tone. Was there a bit of a um, like? Because I feel like these days Edgar Allan Poe and that that vibe or that aesthetic, whatever you want to call it, is a little bit cliche or na- or pastiche now. But back then, was it? It was probably just a trend of the time. Okay, there are other horror movies that start with like quotes from yeah. like horror literature at the beginning of them. Yeah, I mean, all of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street starts doing it in a few years' time, yeah. and then starts quoting itself. <laughs> Welcome to primetime, bitch. It's just set up. It's just yep. helping, right? It's like, okay, we're in Edgar Allan Poe territory. Cool, 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 right? cool. Which I think is a good place for this movie to, yep. to start. And then, of course, we get- Beautifully creepy. Before we even talk about the opening scene, mm. I'm going to jump straight into some stuff about the production of this movie. Okay. It had an interesting production. Cool. In that, basically, it was almost finished- Carpenter was doing like final sound mixes and stuff. And then he basically decided that the movie didn't work, <laughs> that he wasn't happy huh. with the movie and the movie didn't work. What, um, what changed? He didn't think it was scary enough. He had shot it so that a lot of the ghost stuff and the violence was implied, but not seen at all. Mm. Right. And in the time since they had written and shot it, horror had started to take a hard turn towards showing. Mm. Deborah Hill mentions that they had seen David Cronenberg's scanners, which had been a big hit. And that, is a movie that's like super violent, like Heads Explode in that movie. You see yeah, Heads okay. Explode. And so they spent a month rushing to reshape and reshoot about a third of the movie. Wow. To add 
violence and scares and make some other changes. And the other changes I'll kind of talk about as I kind of move move through. It's interesting that they reshot a bunch of stuff and like that much later that and you don't really know. Like normally with that kind of thing, you can kind of Mm. you kind of get a feel that something isn't quite gelling with things because even if you can't put your finger on it, you just sort of know that this wasn't all shot at the yeah. same time was it, <laughs> kind of thing. Was it actually putting the pirates into the scenes more? I'll talk about it on a scene-by-scene basis cool, 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 because cool, cool. I know fairly well ah. from the, from listening to the commentary what was added and, and later. It was the first time that he'd had to kind of do that with a movie. It would not be the last time, mm. which is set up for a future episode maybe sometime. <laughs> okay. And we open with a ghost story and a split screenshot of a pocket watch being snapped shut with some children on a beach listening to Mr. Matchin telling a ghost story. 11.55, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. Just to keep us warm. In five minutes, it'll be the 21st of April. Hundred years ago, on the 21st of April, out on the waters around Spivey Point, a small clipper ship drew toward land. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. For a moment, they could see nothing, not a foot ahead of them. And then they saw a light. My God, it was a fire burning on the shore, strong enough to penetrate the swirling mist. They steered a course toward the light, but it was a campfire like this one. The ship crashed against the rocks. The hull sheared in two, the mast snapped like a twig, and the wreckage sank the men aboard. At the bottom of the sea lay the Elizabeth Dane with her crew, their lungs filled with salt water, their eyes open and staring into the darkness. And above, as suddenly as it had come, the fog lifted, receded back across the ocean and never came again. But it is told by the fishermen and their fathers and grandfathers that when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the men at the bottom of the sea, out in the water by Spivey Point, will rise up and search for the campfire that led them to their dark and icy death. Twelve o'clock, the 21st of April. Mr. Matchin is played by John Houseman. Houseman was a producer as well as an actor. Yeah. He was Orson Welles' right-hand man. Oh, dope. From his days from Orson Welles and his days at the Federal Theatre Project and at the Mercury Radio Show, including during the broadcast of War of the Worlds. Oh, wow. Yeah. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, intellects 
vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. Right through to Citizen Kane. Hectic. Yeah. Wow. So this man is prolific, one of my favourite words. Yeah. (laughs) To me, he is Mr. Bartholomew in Rollerball. Jonathan E. That's the name. Houston players come and go, but the champion plays on. Ah, he's like I haven't the, seen he's the bad guy in so Rollerball. Long. He's great in Rollerball. He's so villainous and wonderful. And he had a long career aside from that. I love this scene with the flickering light and everything like that. It's just, like I said, this movie has a really strong start visually, but... It's all atmosphere. Oh, this my God. This really this sets the tone, even though at the start, this isn't even the peak of the start, like visual tone. Yeah. As he's telling the story, did you guys notice the really bizarre optical zoom from a wide to a Was it a crash zoom or something? It's a, It's actually an optical zoom. So right. it's a- What's the difference? A, one's digital, one's physical? N- well, it's not digital. It's optical. It couldn't have been digital. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it is a zoom that was done in post-production from a wide mat that is stitching together a wide shot and a close-up. And it is so bizarre bizarre and it's the only thing like it in the movie and i have never been able to find an explanation for why the fuck carpenter decided to do that because it's really distracting this is a set yeah i thought so tommy lee wallace says on the commentary that this scene was always in the script but i've also seen elsewhere that this was added on during the reshoots to like establish a tone up front Mm. and so i don't know what's what's true about and what's not because i've got conflicting conflicting versions but it definitely sets a tone like it sets up the whole movie yeah if it wasn't in the original script i would be it would be very very strange john houseman only worked like one day like this is all done in one day um the kids listening to the story there's andy who we're going to meet a little bit later who's stevie wayne's son and the rest of the kids are either like friends of the crew or crew members children the cinematographer dean kundi's Kid Christopher is in the is in the scene. Dean Kundi, who's the DOP, yeah? Yes. Wow, Dean Kundi. Yeah, we've wow. T- this is the second Dean Kundi movie yep. we've done in a row. He yep. did Halloween 3, and he also did the first Tales from the Crypt episode that we watched as well. I've always wondered, and this may be completely uninteresting, but what is the balance between a DOP and a director in the visual style? Well, it depends on that. That's that's a broad question. Yeah? How long is a piece of string? Direct- Do they have a dialogue back and forth? Or yeah, is of course. It- it's a partnership. Okay. It's a partnership. But if, if the DOP goes, I reckon this is better, would the director listen or go, well, no, I have an idea? It's the director's choice. Okay. So, dude, this is like so complicated. It was just something that I was spitballing no, for. No, but, to drop but it. just to give you, just okay, in broad strokes, there are different, the, the way that I answer this question is there are different types of directors and directors are interested in different things. Okay. Some directors want to direct actors, mm. right? And let a DOP do their thing, tell, cool. the, sto- tell the story visually however the fuck they want, light it however the fuck they want to support the story he's trying to tell. It's a part, always a partnership, right? Yeah. But how involved the director is is really up to them and what interesting. they're interested in. They can, you can just hire a DIP and let them do their, do their thing, right? And just direct the actors. Or you can be a visualist like a John Carpenter, right? John Carpenter chooses his lens size. Yeah, see, this is what right? I'm thinking. Like, Because I'm, I'm looking at the strong start of this visual film and I'm going, Dean Quindy, wow. But then you're like, oh... John Carpenter is a visualist and I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, so wh- who do I thank for this? You thank both of them. Yeah, okay. Because this is the thing about we praise John Carpenter as the director of this movie. John Carpenter didn't make this movie on his own. Yeah. He had part creative partners that supported him throughout his entire career that made him John Carpenter. Yep, 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 and yep. So yep. therefore, I always go out of my way whenever I mention John Carpenter 
and Deborah Hill produced the movie, I go out of my way to mention Deborah Hill because mm. Deborah Hill doesn't get enough credit for being half of John Carpenter. Yeah, cool. Right? Especially in the early in the early days. Dean Kundi is exactly the same. Tommy Lee Wallace, who we've already talked about, the director of Halloween three, yep. also worked on this movie. He's just as just as important as as those two two other people as well. Yeah. Right. So it's a it's a creative team. They're a creative team that makes John Carpenter John Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But of course, John Carpenter is also John Carpenter. Sure. Right? Okay, thanks. Can't make a movie on your own. Yeah. It's impossible. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you can. It's going to be shit. <laughs> <laughs> the story kind of wraps up with Mr. Matchin telling the, them, the kids, that when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the men at the bottom of the sea will rise up. As he finishes, we crane up and over a vista of Antonio Bay, and we get the title as we hear the church bell toll. Yeah, sounds very familiar to me. This uh, church bell tolling. And oh, like uh, something and a that I something that I set up in uh, <laughs> in our Dungeons and Dragons game for like for like six months before you fuckers noticed. Ellie, Ellie we lit- noticed. We just didn't know what we were supposed to do with that information. Ellie, halfway through this film, was just like, "Don't they know they have to take him to the church bell?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh fuck, they do." <laughs> yeah. So this movie was mostly shot in Northern California around a region called Inverness, named after the same place in Scotland. Ah, no wonder it's so fucking beautiful there. Around a town named Point Reyes Station, as well as Bodega Bay, which are both uh, north, just past San Francisco. Unbelievable scenery. Ah, what a place to film. It's such a gorgeous place, and John Carpenter enjoyed his time up there so much that he bought a house up there and lived up there for many years, and then shot a second movie up there. I was saying to Ellie, like, I would live there in a heartbeat. At a church, by the way, this church is in LA. On a radio, we hear Stevie Wayne, it's 12 midnight, as a worker, Bennett, is turning off lights around the church and heads back into the study to talk to Father Malone, who's helping himself to some of the sacrament. (laughs) You guys didn't recognize Bennett, huh? No. We're supposed to. That's John Carpenter. Shut up. I don't think I've ever seen him. That's John Carpenter. Hectic. As Bennett. He's a good looking man. There you go. He's playing Bennett Tramer, who is the name of a friend of his, (laughs) but also shortens down to Ben Tramer, which is the name of the boy that Laurie likes in Halloween. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Well, you could ask Dick Baxter. He'd go out with you. I'd rather go out with Ben Tramer. Ben Tramer? I knew it! <laughs> See, you do think about things like that, huh, Lori? Almost everybody in this movie is named after somebody that John knows. I love that. Uh, Bennett wants to get paid. <laughs> and Malone kind of stiffs him, rubs him aside. Father, Father Malone's have a, have a trend. Come in, come, come in late tomorrow. Come in late tomorrow. Do an hour less work tomorrow <laughs> yeah. because I'm going to pay you even less than I'm not currently paying you. How good is the shadow work in this scene? Oh, yeah, the, him drinking on the so wall. Good. Yeah, it's great. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Malone kind of calls for Bennett because there's a strange noise from the wall and a stone that was above his desk falls and it probably would have crushed him sitting, mm. in the, sitting at the desk and there's a hole in the wall. And in the hole, Malone finds an old leather-bound journal of Father Patrick Malone from 1880, his ancestor. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Two things on this. Got hard Jumanji vibes. Um, just because of the pattern on the journal. <laughs> and, like, discovering it in, like, something ancient. Okay. But also, like, weird. when he read it, I was like, is he reading his own journal? <laughs> Did he <laughs> find his own journal? <laughs> 1880, Brody. This movie's set in 1980. Yeah, I'm smart. Flipping through the pages, he finds an entry that reads, Midnight to one belongs to the dead. 
Good Lord, deliver us. Mm. We can also very briefly <laughs> see another page. And since the invention of uh, DVD and screen yeah. captures, we've been able to read some of that other text. My college ed- education to work writing dumb shit in this fucking movie's props. <laughs> That's how I feel about mine, man. It's time to bring in the word guide or the big tits, tattoos, and shaved beavers. I know horny, <laughs> obscured word would go obscured word some of that. I mean, is that any different to you splicing in weird stuff in an edit? Shh. <laughs> Don't tell Pepper my secrets. Kira knows about two of my most recent secrets. Ooh. Yeah, he's got some recent. recent. I want to hear off pod. Yeah, we'll talk about off pod. Uh, the production designer and director of Halloween 3. Tommy Lee Wallace, who I've already mentioned a few times, says it was one of the other guys in their very small art department that was just fucking around because mm. he was having to fill in all these pages of this book while people were off doing other things and he was just frustrated. And that just would be rough, man. That yeah. would be. On the radio, we hear Stevie Wayne saying happy birthday to Antonio Bay as spooky shit starts to happen all over town. It's 59 degrees outside. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. Her sultry radio voice, man. The way she amazing. turns on her, ra- her normal vo- switches from her normal voice to her radio voice yeah. is yeah. fucking great. And they use it as a piece of character because later on in the movie she doesn't she doesn't switch as shit becomes more real becomes more real. I wish like so many times when I hear like these late night radio voices in movies, like I'm just like, why did they ever stop being a thing? They're like, still out there. You just gotta listen to the radio. But those like sultry, like late night whispery voices, oh, they're so good. Spooky shit all over town. Line of payphones starts ringing in a grocery store. A clerk is freaked out by railing fridges. I'm more freaked out by the fact that he drinks that orange juice and puts yeah, it Yeah, what a grub. Uh, gas station starts lighting up. We get a split diopter shot of the gas pump and the clock. Did yeah. you notice it? Yes, I did. Did oh, you write down fuck. that Keen's going to mention the split diopter No, shot? I just thought about it. Yeah, it's very brief. It's very quick, but it Ken is Ken loves split diopter. I still can't spot them, hey. The- just when two things are in focus. <laughs> I just don't, uh, my, my, because I didn't really know of them until I worked with you guys, I think I've used one once. Mm. Which um, is on a short that I directed. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't really know about them until. Red Harvey, yeah. Red Harvey, the that's short it. Film so I don't really know the visual cue for them. I didn't, I hadn't used one until then either. I just. But you knew of it. You have full. It also training. helps yeah. that, it also helps that I yell split diopter every time I see it. There is that. That's kind of why now. I, yeah. Okay. You, we were, we were watching something the other, the other week and you were like. Like, I noticed and he didn't. I was like, aren't you going to, uh, wh- where's your, you going to say your line? <laughs> then he had to rewind to go see to the see split dive. I just had noticed. noticed. I was distracted by something it, else. You were trying to pay attention to what was happening in the background of the shot because it was um, the Christopher Pike. It was Midnight Club. Oh, it was Midnight Club, yeah. So you weren't paying attention to the main things that were in focus. I was, you looking, were trying I was to, looking at other parts of the frame. Yeah. <laughs> you were trying <laughs> to split to figure out what the books were saying on the table. Uh, yeah, that's can, right. So. Can we just briefly touch on even... On these openings, the visual, like the low angle on the on the clerk in the store, it's creepiness and beauty all wrapped together. The the fact that you see this fuel bowser spilling out petrol and a car going up, and all of it is so eerie, but so fucking beautiful. That's it's film, and it's what it's the anamorphic widescreen frame. Yeah, anamorphic lenses rule. Like from the from the first five minutes, I was like, I almost put my notes down. And I was like, no, nah, no notes for this. But then I couldn't stop because it's just so cool. Cars start honking and flashing their lights and they wake up Sandy, who we're going to meet later. That's Nancy Loomis, Nancy Keys. She's Dr. Chalice's wife from Halloween 3. Uh, She's any bracket in Halloween. And as I mentioned last week, she was married to Tommy Lee Wallace. This is shot in their house in L.A. 
<laughs> this is just their house. Her getting up and looking at the window and then the chair moving on its own. They just shot it in their own lounge room. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. This also brings up another thing. By like the end of this opening sequence, so many people have seen supernatural shit Weird and shit. no one is freaking out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people do talk about the town becoming unglued later. Yeah. All of this stuff up until what happens next were pieces shot and put together in the reshoots. This oh. did not exist like this in the original yeah. opening of the movie. Huh. It's all to set things up earlier. That shot of the like hanging shark tooth in the, in the store mm-hmm. was so beautiful. I loved it. And then what happens next is that uh, sex god Tom Atkins as Nick Castle stops his truck to pick up Hitchhiker, Jamie Lee Curtis playing Elizabeth. Like, I tell you what's weird. I'm starting to like buy into it. Yes. Like I'm starting to be like, oh, yep. Okay. He must be super attractive. And I kind of see it, which I don't, but I kind of do for some, somehow. Yeah. Sip. He offers her a sip of the beer he's drinking while he is driving. Neither I, of these people well, should trust each other. Wait. Love it. Can I just, I, I know you, that you have a bit that you want to do. Oh, well, not a bit. I know that you have a, a, a piece that you want to do, but I just want to get through the dialogue first because this is like some of my favorite dialogue in the movie. Dialogue is also amazing in this uh, movie. Are you weird? Are you weird? Yes, I am. Yes, I am weird. You are weird. Yes. You're weird. Thank God. <laughs> the last ride I had was so normal, it was disgusting. And then she lies about never having hitchhiked. This is her 13th ride. Weird and unlucky. We'll see. She's also wearing a wedding ring in this scene. Is she? Yeah, on her left hand, on her wedding finger. You know what? I've never noticed that. Yeah. I didn't notice this. Jamie like, Lee Mate, Curtis married at no. this point? Uh, no, not for another couple of years. Okay, so that's a choice. And then. I thought that, oh, maybe it's just like, that's why she's hitchhiking uh, and it's never addressed. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to run that back because I've never noticed it before and mm. I don't trust your eyes. It could have been the wrong hand, but I don't think so. Maybe yeah. I'm looking at the car wrong. Kira. These two people should not trust each other. But people who pick up hitchhikers are serial killers. People who <laughs> hitchhike also serial killers. Also, this is 1979 in Northern California, in the which middle is of the, the night, golden age of serial killers middle of on the highways night, in California. On a, on a, on a oh, practically shit. deserted kind of road and- She's just going to drink out of his can that's, if this was a real life, that drink is spiked. He took and a Yeah, but do you know that he actually drank it? Tell you what's No, weird. you don't because you can't tell. You can, I'll, I'll pretend to drink right now. Hand it, it to you. I buy it. That was very convincing. Yeah. Um, like, some of the best acting I've ever seen. Thank you. I had the same <laughs> fear. They're serial killers. I had the same fear, <laughs> but the dialogue did so much like when they just start laughing yeah no I love I it. immediately was just like I love that they're just best friends straight away I do completely love so it unreal. and it's all fine so unreal it's though. just hitchhikers and people who pick up hitchhikers how are you both <laughs> in just 1979 in Northern California of each other so quickly it also I listen to too many true crime podcasts and I'm sorry you do not trust hitchhikers <laughs> Or people who pick up hitchhikers. It also just dawned on me why all the styles are so 70s in this movie. (laughs) Because it's 19... It's actually... I mean, it's set in 1980, but it's actually 1979. It's still the 70s. And then, boom, out of nowhere, all the truck's windows explode. Yeah, like just after they said that it's the unlucky 13. We'll see. Yeah. Mm. We'll see. Um, Crash. Did you guys also notice that this entire scene is poor man's process? No. It's all just shot. I mean, it would have had to have been. Yeah, it's all just shot in a garage. 
Oh, but it's <laughs> intercut with the roads so well. Yeah, the stuff, there is outdoor stuff as well. Yeah. But, yeah. but all the stuff of them talking, all their dialogue, it's just poor man's process. That's awesome. Not moving at all, just rocking the car and moving some light, lights around. Awesome. I didn't realise that all the windows had just smashed. I thought something had gone through one mm. window and then smashed through the other one no, as well. No, they all just explode. I figured that out like later, but in the, in the yeah. moment when it happened, I thought something had hit them from the side. Right, yeah. It wasn't yeah. until the front window was also smashed, I was like, Oh no, the windows just smashed on their own. Yeah, they're lucky to not be dead from that much glass shooting at I'm them. I'm surprised they're not more cut. Yeah. Like just yeah. little scrapes on the face. Yeah. On, on his hands where he's on the wheel. Like. Apparently it took some time to figure out how to make to make that effect work. And oh, yeah. not hurt them. <laughs> right? Interesting. Yeah, fair. They're both freaked out and then they kind of get out of there as Stevie's back on the radio again. That truck in Halloween. Yes. Everything is in Halloween in this movie. It's the mechanics truck that Michael Myers kills the driver of and steals his iconic boiler suit from. Oh, I can't it was owned. It. It's owned by one of the uh, one of the one of the crew members. Hectic. So it's in both movies, and it's just Nick Castle's truck in this in this movie. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, learnt from the audio commentary. I didn't. I didn't actually make that connection. We found out that Stevie is broadcasting out of a lighthouse on Spivey Point. I mean, that's it's cool. fucking amazing. So it's cool. So good. She feels us in that there's a celebration tonight for the town's birthday. The anniversary and her phone rings it's the weatherman dan o'banion a name i've already mentioned on this podcast yeah, is that right. character's name yeah the co-writer of <laughs> alien and dark star that's awesome played by charles cyphers who is sheriff bracket in halloween shit yeah everybody you know it's halloween I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? I mean, when you have a crew that you trust, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it becomes like a repertory company. Yeah. You just move p- actors in, and crew into different different parts and roles. Right? Yeah. It's like our boy Charles Band, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, especially when you come from indie film, which is, I mean, this is still an indie movie, essentially. Oh, shit. Because it's not made by a major studio. It's just oh. made by the same crew that made Halloween. Right. Also, is anyone kind of starting to miss Charles Band? <laughs> I mean, it's been a little while. It has. it's been a little while, hasn't it? Yeah. They flirt, the weatherman and Stevie. We give the impression that they talk every day, but have never met. Mm. She's just a voice on the radio. Oh, they've never met. Yeah. That's why they Dickhead. talk about all the voice stuff. Because I just assumed it's a small town they must have met. He's also at a weather station, which is like on the point, like kind of yeah. far away. And she's a, she That's works super all, cute at the lighthouse. Then. I love yeah, that. it's kind of cute. They're yeah. like in this like long distance talking, re- like chat relationship yeah. where he calls her every night to give her the update on the weather and they flirt with each other. Love it. Then he wants to go on a date with her. He talks about meeting her at the celebration. You're not real. You're just a voice. I love it. Yeah, it's all, it's all really, really cute. We find out that she owns the station and that she's it. There's nobody else that works on the, works at the station. So she broadcasts from wherever she gets up in the, in the morning. She goes, starts broadcasting and she broadcasts late into the evening. That's Back mad. in the day when radio stations didn't broadcast all the time because that used to, in regional places that used to be a thing. Mm. We only broadcast from these hours to these hours. That would have been such a sick job to do. I'm going to move to a small town and be the only radio station. That's <laughs> In mad. a lighthouse. Yeah. And, also, and also I'm just going to play jazz. Like, yeah. like non-royalty <laughs> music jazz. <laughs> because we can't afford to pay for rock and roll. Yeah. Which is what they talk about in the commentary. Oh. <laughs> he tells her about a fishing trawler called the Seagrass and a fog bank that is moving in their direction. Ahoy mateys. I love the way that she says ahoy mm. mateys. She talks on the air to the men out on the seagrass to tell them that the fog's coming, dedicates a track to them by the band The Coupe de Ville's. And as I said last week, if you know, you know. And if you don't, come back when we talk about Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> I and don't know. It's going to be awkward if we don't end up doing that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no way we don't do Big Trouble in Little yeah, China. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, just going to pick it up. if it's oh, up. Oh, yeah. Okay. As long <laughs> yeah. as you're going to pick it, then we're good. And, <laughs> and out at sea, 
we see the seagrass. It's a model. And also the best line in any movie is coming up. <laughs> okay. You, in you, any you movie. Out. We'll get to I don't it. know if I pointed it out, so you let me know if I didn't. Okay. The crew are drinking below deck. One of them, Al, is looking out a porthole and can't see any fog. That's Buck Flowers, who is in a bunch of Carpenter's movies. Most notably, he's in They Live. And they're talking shit about wanting to meet Stevie Wayne. Mm. There's no fog bank out there. Hey, there's a fog bank out there. That's the line. That's great, isn't it? It's best because he goes, there's no, no fog, fog bank out there. And he's then kind of can- slurring a little bit because he's drunk and the others are just talking, ignoring him. And the yeah. conversation goes on and he just says it again. There's no fog bank out there. There's hey. a fog bank out there. Hey. I love that shit. Hey, there's a fog bank out there. <laughs> yeah, I love it. The fog rolls in over them and there is a strange glow. Again, model of the fog coming in over the over the ship. Can I just Can I just pull out that dialogue there when they're talking? Even that little subtle dialogue about her in the shop and it's like, oh, you if you saw her, you would want to meet her. It's just, it's dialogue. And I think I've discussed this with you before about some of your scripts. It's dialogue that's almost like not real, but it's so good that you can just like num, 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 eat up those words, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, I've kind of talked about the fact that the idea of realistic dialogue is a myth. Right? Okay. All dialogue is stylized. Nobody writes movies how people actually speak. Yeah. Nobody does. It, if you did, it would be terrible because people cut off. People repeat themselves. <laughs> yeah. Something you learn, both editing your own podcast and having done a lot of voiceover work where I interv- or interviewed a lot of real people over the years is that yeah. people people will kind of figure it out in their head and then summarize themselves. Yeah, So people true. don't talk like people do in movies. Movies are all stylized. Yeah. So it's yeah, about yeah. the level of stylize- stylization. And it's like- Always. It's almost like the dialogue that perfectly fits that character. If And like if that person was real, they wouldn't know who their character is. But we know who their character is. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's what its purpose is. Like, mm. we only spend a very short period of time with these guys. Yeah. But you get a sense of their personality straight away by mm. the way that they speak. And that is good writing. Whether Fucking or not, where, no matter how stylized the dialogue is, if you understand who somebody is from like three lines of dialogue, all job, of them have done. like one line. And I know exactly who these three individual characters are to each other. Yeah. In the cabin, they're freaking out as the fog kind of moves in with purpose into a hatch. It's a reverse shot. And it makes the generator break. Is it a reverse shot? I assumed it was like a vacuum or something. <laughs> On this movie? You think they're using giant vacuums to suck fog places? I don't know how things work in. They reverse shots all over the place in this movie. I, I think I know one. Two of the crew go out onto the deck to check and they see the sails of a ghostly clipper ship pass by them. So sick. It's a fucking amazing image. Really how did they do it? it? With a real ship. They just got a... Okay, so here's the thing. That's I assumed it was going to be a model. No, that's a real ship. Uh, it was shot in San Pedro Bay, right? Mad. The clipper ship is just an old wooden ship that was there that they've dressed with ghost sails. Yeah. It's not moving. The boat, other boat is moving. Because <laughs> it's just anchored, the stuff right? that I feel like I should be like, oh, that's obvious what they should do. Yeah. But like until you hear it, you're like, oh, right. Because mm. it looks so good. They're just going past it. So clean. With a lot of fo- with a lot of fog. Yeah. Right? A lot of fog being blown out. On the deck are three ghostly figures holding fishing hooks. And then two of the crew members are killed. All of the close-up violence is added. So all of the stabbing with the saw, with the cutlass, all that stuff is is added. Shot on a small sound stage. 
So they didn't reshoot the whole scene. They just reshoot some close-ups. They did add entire scenes, but they did also just increase the level of violence by doing pickup shoots to add like people being stabbed. Mm. And so that's even more impressive that you can't see the seams of that. Yeah, yeah. if it's like just a couple of shots within a scene, and the it lighting and, it, and everything would have to match. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just fog and light, backlight, right? Yeah, like you don't even have to have a set. Half of it, they don't even have a set. They're yeah. just. In a black room. And Wouldn't even have to have the same actors. No, it's not. It's not the same actors. It's not the same actors. Almost every time you see a ghost, it's a crew member. It's a grip. It's a prop guy. Anytime you see a close-up of a ghost stabbing someone, that is Tommy Lee Wallace. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Every single time. He's almost every single ghost in this movie. I love, I fucking love the look of the ghosts. I don't know whether it's because of the fog hiding parts of them, but what they did with the actual ghosts, like how they've got like sacks almost on their head. You don't actually see a lot of it. You don't. It's so good. Like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because when I saw the three ghosts on the deck, I turned to Ellie and I was like, this is fucking wild. And I started gushing, right? Ellie was just sitting there like, it's okay. But like, the fact that they don't really move heaps, mm. everything about them, great. Yeah, Love they've it. got very good silhouettes. Yes, that's it. That's what it is. I think they're the weakest part of the movie. Really? Yeah. Okay. I actually don't like like 90% of the ghost stuff. Wow. You don't like the way they look? I think they look cheap. No. I think they look like crew members. I think and I thought, and I felt like that before I knew they were crew members. Seeing them move near the house mm. is where I feel like they're cheap. But so I have like strong thoughts about this movie. Okay, that I am probably going to save for later. Cool, please do. But I and I, I really like that you like like I like I think it's still good. That's the thing is I don't think it's bad. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. Okay, um, talk about why later. Right? It's weird. I didn't have the fear. But I really love the look and I can't really verbalize why. I think sometimes it looks great and sometimes it looks super cheap to me. Yeah, that is very true. I think it definitely looks cool at the start. Like the first time you see them, they I like that you can tell that there's something off about these. Also like, very true. Because, mm. because you can see like the shape of them and they're not just people. They're clearly pirates or something. Their like silhouette can, is yeah, deformed. Yeah. 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 So I think that works. Well, I always talk about in like um in monster creation that the best thing that you can do when you're creating a monster is create a strong silhouette mm. so that you can instantly recognize what that mm. monster is. And then most, if you think about like, if you think about not being able to see the details of mon- a monster, only seeing its shape and knowing instantly what it is, then that is a well-created, mm. well-created monster. Mm, yeah, I think, and I think that's what they've done done well in this. Mm-hmm. I think one of the truest things, and I think you're probably going to feel this as well, is what you said, Kira, when you were saying it gets weaker when you see more. Like the further it goes through the film, mm. they do get weaker. Mm. They do. And then they get real strong for one particular scene, which is I'll talk about when we get to it. Okay. So Stevie looks out of the ocean, smoking. Nothing but water, Stevie, but it sure beats Chicago. The phone rings. It's Dan. He tells her that the fog has moved off and probably missed the ship, which is odd because it would mean that the fog is moving against the wind. Mm. They float a bit, little bit more and she does see the fog glowing out at sea, which is very strange. In bed, post-game. I didn't really notice that the fog was glowing at first. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I just thought that that's what it looked like because it's a movie, like yeah, in order no. for us to be able to see the fog, not that it was actually like in in world glowing. No, there is a glow to the fog. Yeah, like yeah. I said, I saw, saw that there was a glow. I just didn't know that the characters were supposed to be able to see the glow. Ken, why is everyone sleeping with this man? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 
I think it's fun. Yeah, right? 100%. But also, on the commentary track, at a certain point in the scene, in one of the crowd shots later on, Tom Atkins points out a little local cutie in a naval hat okay. that he uh, might have had a thing with on location. And I think that that is the first of many clues that Tom Atkins is, in fact, a sex god. Okay. In real life. And I think it's the mustache. Mm, okay. Now, yes, it's missing in this movie. I also just think it's fun. They joke about the fact, Tommy Agreed. Lee Wallace jokes about the fact that in every movie that they made with Tom Carpenter, with John Carpenter, <laughs> except for like Escape from New York because there's no availability of it, mm. but Tom Atkins gets laid a lot. I, I love that they're like happy, joyful friends in a car. Oh my God, that was so shocking. Next time we see him, well, she's already in, together. She's already into it because she says the line, he says weird and unlucky and she says, we'll see oh. about him being unlucky because she's already down. <laughs> She's already down to go home with him. Ah, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So. And I do love how there's like no warm warm up to it though. Like that line must be there, but then the next scene, they're just cuddling in bed. I can, love it. Can I ask you something? Sure. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> they're great together in this movie. They are. They have so much chemistry. She's, Jamie Lee Curtis is so different in this movie than she's in Halloween because she's so subdued and kind of like. She's a she's a teenage girl with no self esteem in Hall- in Halloween that is then traumatized by a man in a mask. And in this movie, she gets to be playful and have personality and be flirty and sexy. And I think she's amazing. In she this kills movie. it. She doesn't have enough to do, but she's fucking luminous. In Agreed. This movie. The the moment where I could tell they had like a pretty good chemistry is when they're on the boat and they talk and then like they're close for a scene. But then when her business in the scene is over and he turns away from her, he's, she reaches out and like holds his hip. And I was mm. like, oh, that's a nice bit of business that like you wouldn't do if you didn't have a chemistry with someone. You know? Yeah. And they have this kind of like, like fast relationship. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the course of the movie is like 24 hours. Mm. So they're together for like 24, 24 hours. Right. You know, the next day she probably like moves on. Yeah. Yeah. From her perspective, she's having like the adventure of a lifetime. Yeah. She's having like a wild, she got picked up. She was hitchhiking. She got picked she's up. On the she road. had a crazy, she had a crazy adventure. Yeah. And then she's probably just going to move on with her life. Yeah. And I love their dynamic in that. Mm. Yeah. Like maybe on the way back, she hits him back up. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But maybe not. I love it. We find out that she's a rich kid that never got to do what she wants. Oh, which <laughs> <laughs> is fun. He uh, offers to buy one of her pieces of art because they're looking, flipping through her art book. <laughs> they show she's half like, of it on there. I'm like, it's not that good. Like her art. Yeah, but you know. It's a I mean, I definitely do that as well. <laughs> and then there is an eerie and persistent knock at his door. I love this knocking. I love the knocking in the whole film. It's so fucking scary. He goes to check it out. But They're very as, polite ghosts. They yeah, knock. they knock. But as he opens the door, the clock strikes one and then shatters and the fog disappears It's because it's the end of the witching hour. Mm, is that why? Yeah. You it's didn't also, realize that was why. <laughs> we we later find out that this is also the hour in which the conspirators oh, yep, were yep, yep, yep. planned. So this scene is also a great example of what was added because all the stuff looking at Nick was shot in a house in Inverness, <laughs> and all of the stuff looking at the door with the ghost was shot at John Carpenter's house in Laurel Canyon. Gold. Oh, my God. Gold. When he opens the door and looks out and we see a shot of, like, the beach and there's nobody there, what he's really looking at is John Carpenter's pool. <laughs> Seamless. So John was originally trying to imply the spooky. 
So I think it was shot originally in a way that you never see the ghost, you just hear the knocking. And so he added seeing being able to see the ghost at the door. Yeah. In order to in order to kind of the, have it be less and less implied. So were the silhouettes, which isn't really in this scene too much, but was Yeah, you see a you see a backlit ghost against the yeah. against the door. And and the hook knocking on the door, was that added? So that probably you probably heard the knocking but didn't see what was making the oh, knocking. That so was good that, choices. So to all add. that stuff is added. So yeah, that's John that's Real John Carpenter good. and Adrian Barbeau's house in Laurel Canyon. Ah. The next day on the beach. Andy, Stevie's son, spots the glint of gold by some rocks. Mm. I, I At first, when I saw the coin, I was like, is that a gold coin? And then when it disappeared, I was like, oh, it must have been a gold coin. <laughs> I know, right? It, absolutely. I always forget that there's a gold coin. Mm. Um, so, I also thought when, this kid was going in. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when he goes to investigate it, yeah, there's a doubloon, but in the crash of waves, it becomes a piece of driftwood, part of a ship, mm. because it's got the word Dane on it. For the Elizabeth Dane. The the transition from the gold coin to the driftwood yeah. is just a cut. They just waited My until, brain didn't even notice. Uh, it's so great yeah. because you don't even process it. Oh, so it's, what happens is a wave comes over and then when the wave goes away, the driftwood is there. But all they've done is just shot it twice, waited for a wave to cover up the, the object. Nice. And then they just put a cut in and you can actually just see the driftwood pop in. It's great. <laughs> My brain did fully not even notice. Yeah. Andy picks up the wood and takes it home and runs, and Carpenter's score kicks in and is wonderful. His, his score is just... Does he reuse a lot of his score or is he just highly stylized? He's just highly stylized okay. and he has a sound. Yeah. And it does evolve over time. He's also, this score is very much echoing the score of The Exorcist. has a little bit of like inspiration from that. Okay. In it. The sound, the ticking, yeah, there's a ticking in okay. it because there's a, we're obviously on a clock here. Yeah. This is the second score he wrote for this movie because he scrapped his original score Hectic. when it wasn't scary enough and it didn't wow. work. So this is the second time that he wrote a full score for this movie. That's crazy. Yeah, so that as far crazy. as I know, nobody has ever, I don't know if the original score exists or has ever been released anywhere, but fuck me, I would love to hear it. So is he just a score... Like like you, how you just like can speak movie score, or is he a musician? He's a musician. I mean, now he's mostly a musician. Oh wow! I mean, now he just releases albums and does scores really? for other movies and tours around. Yeah, he he does music. So he just did the or the score for all the new three Halloween movies. Oh, of That's course. all his music. Right. He just did the score for Firestarter, the remake. I mentioned it last week. Okay. He does it with him and his son Cody Carpenter. And a friend, and a friend, a good a friend of theirs, the three of them together released music. He's re- released three albums called Lost Themes cool. that are like lost themes to John Carpenter movies, right? Yeah. There's three of those albums and they're fucking amazing. You've heard them. You just don't know that you've heard them. Uh, I use them for background for D&D, for board don't. games all the time. Okay. These days, literally what John Carpenter does is he smokes weed, 
He watches the Golden State Warriors play basketball. <laughs> he plays video games and he makes music with his kids. And then he cashes checks that when people want to remake his movies or get him to do a score. Live in the fucking dream. He expressed last week because of Halloween ends. He's been out and about doing some press. And he expressed last week, last week that he wants to do a score for, for a video game and nobody's ever asked him, which ah. he should absolutely positively do. And he would like to direct a dead space movie if people would let him do that. Yeah, that would be dope. Yeah. He would fucking crush that. Yeah, I know, because he loves that video game. Yeah. I can kind of see as well when you were saying he has like influences from old monster movies as well. Yeah. I can kind of feel that. Last week we talked about Quatermass and about Quatermass. how he was inspired yep. by how about how um, they got Nigel Neal, the author of the Quatermass movies, to write Halloween 3. Remember we were talking yep, about yep, it? Yep, yep, yep. So I watched Quatermass Experiment this week. Cool. And holy fuck, like it is, there are sections of it that are just the thing. Really? Yeah, like the inspiration is like direct. It's great. You can't escape it. Mackie, look. Nothing can destroy it. It's coming for you from space to wipe all living things from the face of the earth. Beware of... The creeping unknown. It's like I unlocked a piece of John Carpenter because nah. I've been meaning to watch those movies for such a long time. Been meaning I've known about those movies since I was a small child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finally got to watching the first one from like the late from the late fifties, and I was like, "Holy shit! There is so much John Carpenter in this. It's ridiculous." Andy and Stevie's house is on stilts over the water, over the bay. Amazing! What a great place to live, but also probably like real damp. Probably mold is probably an issue. Salt, though. It's salt water. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Inside, we pan across photos of Stevie and her partner, who's now kind of out of the picture for some reason. We never find out why. And Andy is a baby. He has a strong look. Is that someone or just uh, nobody? Well, in the photos, Adrian is posing with Mikey Malone, which is where Father Malone's name Ah. comes from. (laughs) Right? Of course. Mikey Malone was Adrian Barbeau's ex. Oh, fuck. It's yeah. all inbred. And as we have already talked about, John Carpenter was previously with Deborah Hill and is now married to no. Adrian Barbeau. Don't tell me they get together. Adrian Barbeau set up Deborah Hill with her ex, Malone, and the four of them used to go on double dates together. Oh, you know <laughs> they'd be swinging. That's adorable. You know they'd be swinging. She, she, Did they end up getting married? No, they dated for about two or three two for about two or three years, but the four of them used to go out on dates together. That's, um, that's very 70s. Yeah, and apparently, like, they were all cool with each other. They were all, like, super mature about the fact that they're all exes, and obviously, right? Yeah. It was and the age of, of open relationships. But, but all of their friends were, like, freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Lee Wallace was, says on the commentary, like, it was so weird. It was so bizarre, but they were all cool with it. <laughs> That's awesome. Andy wakes up his mum, who of course is sleeping in because she was on the radio until 1am, and shows her what he found. Look it, look it. I love you. Sometimes you're a real pain. Sure, Mom, but look it. First it was a gold coin, and then it turned into this neat piece of wood. This is one of those times. Uh Uh-huh, but look at it, Mom. Andy's going to go look out for another one because he wants to get the coin this time. (laughs) (laughs) He leaves the driftwood with his mother. And then down on the bay... On the uh, on the docks, Nick chats with a guy. He was meant to meet Al from the sea from the the seagrass, but he never came back in last night. And Nick is worried. They never get so drunk that they can't get back. Mm. So he's going to go out with a friend that owes him a favor, Ashcroft, to look for the seagrass. And Elizabeth wants to tag along because she's just super into him. I love it. And this is again like her like on the road experience. I'm just going to go with you because like that's sure. where the wind like, is blowing. Okay, yeah, we're still to, like you know I don't have anywhere to be. 
I would love out. to have done that in my life. I've had I weird weekends have. like that. Yeah. Where like I met somebody and then just hung out with that person True. for like the whole weekend and partied or whatever, or just had like a like an adventure with that person and then yeah. never saw that person ever again. Yeah, I have done that actually. Yeah. yeah. Not out of this town though. This dock is in Bodega Bay, which is a small town right near Point Reyes. They're kind of all really close to each other. Mm. It's the small town that Hitchcock shot the birds in. Oh, right. Dope. And this dock is in that movie. Huh. Which is kind of great. Is that John Carpenter being a bit of a film nerd or? No, it's just, it, it just it's more coincidence. Yeah, they both okay. shot movies in Northern California. Cool, cool, right? cool, cool, cool. So they ended up in similar, pla- similar places. We meet Kathy, who's the chairperson for the town's centenary celebrations, as she's running through the setup with Sandy, her assistant, mm. who's Nancy Keyes, who we Love their now. back and forth. <laughs> Do you guys know who Kathy is? No. Is the assistant? No, no, no. Well, the assistant is Nancy Loomis slash Nancy Keys, who's any bracket from what? from Halloween and and Doctor Child. Oh, really oh my god! Yes, yes, I yes. It at the beginning of the podcast. Right? Oh my god! I fully thought she looked familiar. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm yeah, like when uh, at the beginning of the podcast when I said that she yes, had seen her yes, last yes, week. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I didn't blow up at it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you know who the older woman is? Looked familiar. Kathy thought she was going to die. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's just, no. That's Janet Lee. That's Janet Lee. Yes. Psycho. You know, Marion Crane from the opening of Psycho. Oh, fuck. I wouldn't know that. That's a deep pull. Janet Lee is the woman in the sh- that's murdered I in the shadow. I was going to ask wow. you because I saw her name in the credits and I didn't pick her in the movie. What's great is is that you guys, you also, it means that you also don't know because you haven't mentioned it. She's Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. I think I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I knew that somewhere in my brain too. Yeah. Didn't, didn't notice it. Thinking but- about young Janet Lee. And Jamie Lee in Curtis. Psycho, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's you so can see I can't it. Even picture, I can't even picture Have you even seen Psycho? Yeah, I definitely have, but it's one of those you, things Or do you think that you've seen Psycho? I thought that I'd seen it and Kira it turned out that, that I had just heard a lot about it and way, felt like it could, it. it could be one of those. It's one of those old movies that people talk about that is actually fucking great, by the yeah. way. So you, it could have just been in my zeitgeist. Yep. I mean, everybody rips it off and yeah. everybody references it. And you've probably seen a lot of the major scenes in other things. True, yeah. true. So you may very well have not seen it. <laughs> yeah. They, as they're talking, passed by a guy who's wearing a red cap who's painting a fence post. It's Tommy Lee Wallace. Oh. And yeah, the dynamic is great. Yeah. Like Sandy clearly treats Kathy like she's a pain. Yeah. But they still get along there's with each other. There. There's, yeah. Yeah, there's love there. It's really, it's really, really kind of nice. And then we get... Shots of Stevie driving up to the lighthouse. Lots of landscape stuff. The lens flares in this are so pretty. Well, that's anamorphic, man. That's ah, anamorphic that's lenses. She hears on the radio on the um, Coast Guard channel that the seagrass never returned and that the Coast Guard is searching near Whiteley and Arkham Reef. Arkham Reef. Lovecraft. Is that a Lovecraft thing? Yes. I never it's knew that. It's not just Batman, Brody. <laughs> I, I, although I, I really do love the aesthetic and the history of Lovecraft. You've never actually read I, any? Yeah, never. Like most people. Yeah. It's I should, hard, actually. It's actually hard to read. But also, isn't like a lot of Lovecraft not written by Lovecraft? No, there's. I mean, there's a lot of Lovecraft written by Lovecraft. Because he opened up the world for people to yeah, write. I mean, yeah? lots, of, lots of other people have taken that mythology and ran with it and just use, used it for spare parts. I mean- It's called the like Cthulhu mythos yeah, the or Cthulhu something? Mythos, yeah, Cthulhu mythos, yeah. Yeah, so but Arkham is a name from Lovecraft that was taken for Arkham Asylum in Batman. Ah, that and makes so much sense. Now. And John Carpenter uses it here as a reference to Lovecraft. That's cool, man. Uh, Whiteley's also from Lovecraft as well. On Ashcroft's boat, they find the seagrass sitting abandoned at anchor. I really like the. There's also like a nice little exchange out here. Elizabeth asks Nick 
if he's worried. And she says, yeah, she can get real mean, meaning the ocean. Mm. Yeah. Which is, which is just, it's good sea talk. I like yeah. sea talk. A fan of sea talk. And I love, I love Doc fashion. Knows, Kira knows I plan on returning to the sea. <laughs> yes. I love all the Doc fashion throughout Kieran this movie is a, as well. Yeah, sea captain at heart. You reckon? He's, he's a salty sea dog, that's for sure. I mean, if he could have a boat, he would have a boat. Really? Absolutely. Okay, interesting. But I would need to be able to fire cannons and board other vessels. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Which is why we don't get him a boat. Yeah. We should get him a cannon though. <laughs> <laughs> we should. Just totally get me a cannon. Let's get me a cannon. In the car, we find out that Kathy is Al from the Seagrass' wife. Mm. And they talk about the town becoming unglued last night and that Al never came home. But at about after midnight, their dog started barking, pointing straight mm. at the sea. Which is a nice bit of uh, what dog, I, dogs always know. Nice dogs bit of do creepiness. Know. What I love about her character is that in any archetypal horror movie, she should be like money grubbing. She should be like, you know, she should be not evil essentially, but like the mayor from Jaws. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's not. She's sweet and she's nice. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that no one in this movie is really a villain. Yeah. I mean, deserves you could, you what happens the to them. Yeah. You could quite easily do, yeah, the, the mayor from Jaws in this and make yeah. them kind of. That's corrupt. why I thought she was going to die. Right. But no, they don't do that. On the seagrass, there's no sign of the crew and there's water in the generator. And then Kathy and Sandy arrive at the church, hoping not to find Father Malone in his cups, which is always a phrase I've enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> they enter the church and look for him, and we get a jump scare where Father Malone kind of pops up out of the dark and puts his hand on Kathy's shoulder. I loved it. Which is really and great. Is it because it was so black that we couldn't see him, or is there a trick there? Good question, Brody. This is an effect shot. Ah. When it was shot, you could actually just see Father Malone waiting in the dark right. because of the way that the film was exposed. Yeah, yeah. So in the lab, they masked out the part of the frame where he is. Because it's super, It's you can't see anything there. Yeah. And then as he steps forward, they dissolve out the mask. Love so it. So that he pops out of the darkness. Love so it, it is actually an effect shot. It was not meant to be an effect shot, but when they looked at it after they'd shot it, you could just see Father Malone there. So they just did a little post-production fix on it in a lab Dark. the old-fashioned way. Dope, dope, That's dope. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Uh, he has something to show her. And then in his study, he reads from the from the journal he found. And this sequence is kind of intercut. We cut backwards and forwards to Nick on the sea, Nick and Elizabeth on the seagrass looking for answers. I'm going to try to stick to it in chunks. Cool. Um, so that I don't have to go backwards and forwards all the time. Yeah. But, I loved the back and forth in the movie though. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the movie does it all the way through. Like yeah. each, as Kira said, nobody has all the pieces. Mm. but everybody is trying to solve a mystery. And so we get all this ensemble of characters who, are, who each have a different piece of information. Mm. And then, and then at the end it is like a sink, as you said, they all kind of, they mostly all kind of come together. Mm. So we learned that Blake, a pirate afflicted with leprosy, wanted to move his colony from a nearby Island closer to the settlement in Antonio Bay. And that Malone, the original Malone, OG Malone <laughs> and five other town leaders conspired to light a fire that would make this ship crash upon the rocks at Spivey Point and steal the gold. Can I ask as well, mm -hmm. going back to that review where it's saying it doesn't really know where it's whether it's lepers, pirates, who are rich or not, that does sound confusing, right? Like I didn't really understand what was going on with who the now, ghosts were. Okay, so nobody in this hex ever says pirates. 
Yeah. Nobody in the text ever says. Now, they everybody- seem like fishermen except for the captain. Everybody assumes that, that they are ghost pirates. When you think about this movie, it is the ghost pirates in the fog movie. Yeah. Nobody in the movie says the word pirates. So Blake has a fortune. We don't know how Blake has a fortune. And he and his crew or his people that he's in charge of have leprosy. And he uses part of his portion to buy a clipper ship is what we, is what we learn. Right. You can make the assumption maybe that they're pirates. You know what makes me think that? The sword. That was the only the thing. The sword. Well, they, they, yeah, they're kind of styled like pirates. Yeah. And, the only, and I kept going back to whether they're fishermen. I kept thinking they were fishermen because of the hooks. Yeah. Because they're the hooks that you'd pull in nets with, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah, it was confusing to me what they were. I suppose you don't really it need to really know. doesn't really matter. I mean, there's lots of stuff in this movie that are completely unexplained. It's yeah. just, it's spooky. Mm. It's just supernatural. Mm. Right? It doesn't need an explanation. Yeah, 100% agree. On the seagrass, every single gauge is shattered, just like in the truck. Love this. And down in the hold, Nick taste the dregs of a can of beer. Seawater. Seawater. So good. Loved it. It's as so if why she- would you do that? Because like maybe they were drugged or something. I, I thought yeah, that he was the, like investigating if it. If they were drugged, you wouldn't want to taste it. Yeah, but it's like a <laughs> pop thing, right? You taste whether it's pure cocaine. Yeah. But he also at this point suspects that it's as if she's been turned over in the water. Mm. Yeah. But it's all dry, so that doesn't make any sense. And stuff is rusted shut like it's been underwater for weeks. Yeah. Love all of this. Elizabeth thinks that she's bad luck. They're waiting for the Coast Guard. They're below deck at this point. And Nick doesn't believe in luck or much else. And he tells a story about his father as they wait. His father was out one night and saw a ship headed right for them. He was a fisherman. They boarded the ship, the Risa Jane, and it was abandoned. There was food on a table and a hot cup of steaming coffee that was rusted to the table. Hmm. And his father found a gold doubloon from 1867. He took it home, putting it in his pocket, told the story to his son, Nick. And when he went to unzipper his pocket and give the coin to Nick, it was gone, Hmm. which is just a great little bit of atmosphere building. And it also, in this scene, it's all the way through it, we're seeing the latch of a locker starts to move. Loved that too. This whole sequence is great. And we get a jump scare as the locker pops open and just shit just it's falls out. It's a fake out. And then a body falls from behind Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. A fucking gruesome on, body too. Her. Yeah, it has no eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the crew members that we saw earlier. This whole scene is a fucking reshoot. Shit. This is a set built in a, built in a studio. I can't imagine this not being in the film. So they shot the body find- Complete, in a completely different way, and it didn't work. Hectic. So they went back and reshot this. Do you know how they did scene. originally? No, apparently it was hanging. Think more closer to like some of the body reveals in, in Halloween uh, where you yeah. get somebody falling out of a closet. Right? Cool, cool, cool. So I think it was something close to that, and John thought it didn't work, so they reshot the whole scene. Interesting. Yeah, and then back at the church. Our celebration tonight is a travesty. We're honoring murderers. The whole story told by Father Malone was really good. Can I just ask, from you explaining this, these two scenes like back and forth, mm-hmm. this whole sequence inter, interconnected yep. with each other, do we feel like this is a horror or a mystery? It's both. 
Yeah, because it, it's it's strong mystery vibes. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a traditional ghost story. Yes, that's like, what it is. I mean, that's what it, that's what John Carpenter set out to do. He wanted yeah. to make a he wanted to make a classically styled ghost story, right? Yeah. And then he and while he was making it, he had to kind of bring it into modern times by adding more violence than he would have necessarily done to begin with. Oh, right. Right. That's what all the reshoots were. The reshoots right, were to add right, scares right. and violence because movies had moved on. So this is like a 1950s ghost movie right yeah cool it's, it's a throwback to the stuff that the ec comic stuff and the kind of like vincent price movies mm. that he grew up with right yeah and like house on haunted hill and all those kind of classic classic uh, ghost scare movies that doesn't play in 1980 the same way mm. so he has to add all these other elements to it stevie pulls into the car park of kab and we get this fucking incredible reveal shot of this location as we crane up over the like a, a little little fence to reveal the stairs that go down to the lighthouse. What a location. It's amazing. So this is Point Ray's lighthouse. There are three hundred and thirteen steps down wow. to Keep this lighthouse. Fit. It's the equivalent of twenty-five stories. <laughs> and when the Fuck. and when the wind kicks up they have to close the stairs because they become too, da- too dangerous and you can be blown off them. Oh, wow. Whoa. Imagine being the person who found that out. Yeah. It's been automated since the 1970s. So it isn't a lighthouse from like 18 something or yeah. rather. Or it could be from la- a little bit later. I didn't write down the exact date. But but it's been automated for a, for a long time. These shots inside are a not, set. Uh, I thought they yeah. would be. Well, I'll talk about that in a second. So Tommy Lee Wallace tells a story on the commentary that he, John and Deborah had scouted a lot of the coast of Northern California to find locations, just three of them in a car together, stopping and looking at every lighthouse that was on the way. They had found a book about lighthouses on the, on the, on the cool. West coast of America and kind of marked the ones that they thought would be interesting. And they had actually ruled this lighthouse out because the photo of it showed that it had this like tiny squat, like tower yeah. didn't really fit the idea or traditional idea of a lighthouse. But because they were looking at other locations nearby, they decided to just that they liked in order to be efficient. They decided just to swing past it and have a look. John stayed in the car. John didn't even want to get out of the car and go look at the lighthouse because he had ruled it out in his mind. Yeah. So Deborah wow. and Tommy Lee Wallace go and walk around look down the stairs, see this fucking lighthouse, and then come back to the car and have to convince John to go and have a look. <laughs> That's incredible. And it's perfect. It's great. It's such a beautiful location. Yeah. It's amazing. Un- unbelievable location. Wouldn't it be great to be a location finder for movies? Wouldn't it be great to live in a lighthouse? Wouldn't it be great to, <laughs> like... To run a radio station out of a lighthouse? Yes, yes. Yeah. That you both own the lighthouse and the radio station. <laughs> yeah. Kira only says that because she's a massive fan of Round the Twist. Have you ever, ever thought like this? How strange things happen. Are you going round the twist? Have you ever, ever thought like this? How strange things happen. Are you going round the twist? Well, have you heard the word oh, about We all kind of have to be growing up at the yeah. time we did in the country we did. It freaks me out that there's different children. <laughs> <laughs> Each season has different children. Does but the father the never children. notice? <laughs> well, that's the magic of the lighthouse, game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a reference only for the Aussie kids. I once saw one of the Bronsons at the Easter show. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a kid from Around the Twist. And he was like, oh, my God, it's a kid from Around the Twist. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. I mean, that sounds like a Bronson. As she is walking down the stairs, she's listening to samples of promos for the station on a tape deck. The voice is Tommy Lee Wallace. 
Mm. Who's also the voice of the Silver Shamrock ads. Ah, mm. Also, fuck you, Kira. I've had that song in my head for <laughs> so long because you were singing it on Silver the pod. Silver Shamrock. <laughs> the whole week. I know. <laughs> Inside the lighthouse, which, yes, is a set built on location. And the way that they sell it is that they have, like, these random pieces of cloth on the railing in the background out the window that they're blowing with a fan to make it feel, to connect it to, like, oh, an outside that's space. that's so good. It, like, it's great. On the commentary, they make fun of the fact that why is that fabric there? I like, what are those pieces it was like of, a flag or something. What are those pieces so of clean. fabric? Yeah, it's great. It's a set. I it's love the story, way movies it's a story with set. your brain. So there's, a, like, the bottom part of the lighthouse with a spiral staircase that goes up to the top part of the set. Yeah. Two-story set. So she puts the driftwood down and the tape deck down on a table near some eight-track cartridges, which is good fun because it's super old school. I was wondering at that point, would the radio work with records or is it tapes being plugged she's in doing a She's doing a mix. She's okay. just playing whatever she's got. She's actually got a stack of records with her that she dumps on a, she dumps on a table as right. well. She's holding a bunch of stuff as she comes up the stairs. And then back at the church, Malone tells Kathy and Sandy that the journal was found at around the same time the town started to fall apart last night, mm. the same time the conspirators met 100 years ago. Malone was meant to offer a benediction tonight at the centenary celebration, but he thinks doesn't think that he can now, knowing that the town was founded on murder and lies. The town has a curse on it. And Kathy thinks that he's taking all of this a bit too seriously. Mm. There's a great wide-angle shot of the three of them. So with Father Malone in the foreground Front. talking to Kathy and then Sandy in the background. Are they all in focus? No, no, no. Oh, it, okay. I mean, it is, there is a lot of focus in the shot because it's a wide angle shot. It's not a split dive to shot. Right. Malone is like in shadow. Yeah. He has like this shadowy light on his face shadow and then everything and then great. everything else is is lit kind of brightly, but his face is in shadow because he is in, yeah. in the shadow God, of the curse. It. Like it's just it's very simple, it's very obvious, but it's really good. The visual sometimes obvious is really this. good. The thing is, is this movie does isn't just pretty. It has a visual language that communicates in oh, it. It's so good. We talked about Dean Cundy and like his and even on Halloween 3, the choice of like when to use a close-up. Yeah. Like visual language is such an important part of John Carpenter and Dean Cundy as film as filmmakers. Like they use the exact right technique for mm. the effect that they want to have. At the KAB Lighthouse, water starts leaking out of the driftwood. Loved this. And touches the tape deck. And Stevie hears a voice on the tape. It distorts and we hear a voice. Yeah. And it's the voice of Blake. And the driftwood no longer has the word Dane on it. It has the word six must die on it. Because the albatross is a reference to the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Yes. And All the- of this was incredible. And like, again, it wasn't super scary, but it was so nice. So atmospheric. Yeah. Yeah. The driftwood explodes in flame and Stevie uses a fire extinguisher to put it out. And after the fire is out, it's like it never happened. The words have gone back to the word Dane. The water through the wood. I'm guessing it's just not wood and they're pumping water through like something that it could just pass through. Yeah, there's probably just a hidden tube. Yeah, okay. Yeah, really, it's probably porous in some in some way. It's it was, a prop. It yeah. was really cool, man. I, I really like I can't explain it any other way. It's just like I just I just love this. And then the like horrible voice on the tape recorder was just fucking dope. Also like lowest killing spree of any curse ever. <laughs> just six, <laughs> just, just six. six. Yeah. Well it's just, you know, they want they want uh justice, mm. not just random chaotic violence. Yes. Although they are just killing whoever they come across. Yes. Yep. There's only one person who 
kind of deserves it, but also really doesn't. Not really. No, no. nobody deserves it. Yeah. No, nobody deserves <laughs> unless, it. Unless you can deserve it via lineage. Which you cannot. <laughs> As Schwarzenegger has told us. <laughs> when? Don't let hate masquerading as heritage. Oh, yes. Oh, my God, that Do you think, that, oh God, do you think that I was not thematically tying things together? <laughs> oh, you're a freak. That was so good. I know. I love it. On the way back to shore, Nick wonders how a man can drown without touching the water. <laughs> Sorry, that hit me. I didn't realise it until the very second. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just coincidence. What it is, it's confirmation bias. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, we watched this movie oh. that's about, like, the hair, like paying for the sins of your ancestors and whatever. Yes. And then I read a newsletter from Arnold Schwarzenegger this morning where Perfect. he was like, I grew up in post-Nazi Austria. Oh, of course. Right? He talked about, like, not letting his the, that hatred become heritage for him. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah, on the way back to shore, Nick wonders how a man can drown without touching the water. And Stevie calls Andy at home. He's being looked after by a neighbor, Mrs. Cobritz. Poor Mrs. Cobritz. Yeah. <laughs> Stevie wants to know where Andy found the driftwood. She tells him the story again, and that at first it was a gold coin and it turned into wood. I fucking told you about this. <laughs> yeah. Mom. And then she's like, stay away from the rocks. Um, she has to start the broadcast now, but make sure that you don't leave the house tonight. And then she comes onto air. Ahoy, mateys. This is Stevie Wayne, your nightlight. And KB, Antonio Bay, California is on the air. Mm. And at home, Andy asks Mrs. Coberts, what are those clowns out there? Just a fog. Chekhov's fog. <laughs> yeah. At the hospital in the morgue, the doctor, Dr. Phoebes, Dr. Phoebes is a reference to the abominable Dr. Phoebes, which is a Vincent Price movie. Are you ready for Dr. Phoebes? Mm. And he's been inspecting the body of Dick Baxter, who's the sailor that they found. Great name. And wants to talk, also somebody else that they know. Oh, of course. I didn't write down who it was, but it's somebody else that Carpenter knows. And he wants to talk to Nick alone. Sheriff Sims is on his way back from Bodega Bay. He had had to go out there for some reason. And the body looks like it's been underwater for a month. Elizabeth's still in the room with the body under a sheet. And Nick feels a cold chill. I love body, this shit. The body begins to move. It stands. It picks up a scalpel and starts walking towards her as she's facing the other way. She's actually looking out the window. And then the corpse falls. She screams for Nick. And when he comes in, the, the body is on the floor and the corpse is carved with a scalpel three onto the, yeah. onto the floor because three more are meant to die. This whole scene was added in the oh, restaurants. Oh, what an ad. What an ad. So first of all, the talk about the body being underwater. Love it. Yeah. Fucking great. The descriptions of it, how they just keep kind of going over it for too long while they're out of the room. Well, the yeah. doc also oh. tells a story about three other kids that were that died diving yeah. out into the old wreck. Yeah. This body looks like it's been in the water longer than they did and they'd been in the water for 10 days. Yeah. And the fact how like we can see over Jamie Lee's um, shoulder the whole time and it's like, you know that body's going to move. You know that body's yeah. going to move. Then it moves. And when it starts walking, still she has no idea. And the fact that they just keep cutting back to inside and outside the room, it's like, oh, my God, will someone please fucking notice this body <laughs> getting up and walking? Loved all of it. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. And out on the bay, a foghorn blows as the sun begins to set and night falls on Antonio Bay. The centenary celebration has begun in town. But in a town's bar, Sims the sheriff is telling Kathy that the Coast Guard is out looking for Al, her husband, and all they can do is wait. Mm. 
she thanks Nick for all his kind of help. Sandy comforts her and tells her that she should go home, but Kathy insists that she goes out and gives her speech mm. to the celebration. She talks about how last night all she'd wanted for Al, was for Al to come home. And then after they leave, Nick needs a strong drink. And he sits silently with Elizabeth for a second. They're just sitting in the bar looking sad. You can see how much his friend's death has kind of devastated him. Yeah. Stevie's on the radio. She mentions that the seagrass has been found and she hopes that no one else gets lost in the fog. This triggers something in Nick and he goes and calls the station from a payphone. Nick and Stevie talk and they swap information about last night's fog. As we see this night's fog start to roll in over the town glowing. So I guess we need to talk about the fog, right? Yes, please. About how they did the fog. Yeah, and like it... It has aged, but I think it works for the movie. Yeah, I think it works. Yeah, I think it works mostly yeah. great. They I was to... only confused about how fast it moved. <laughs> and the <Yeah>. colour. <laughs> and the, the glowing. And the yeah. glowing. <laughs> so this is like really fun, low-budget movie magic. Mm. And they use a bunch of different techniques. Um, sometimes I love it through the town later. Yeah. Sometimes it's just reversed footage to make it do things that it wouldn't That's normally do. That's in the town, do. right? Well, some of it. Yeah, okay. Some of it's not. Some of it they just... Pumping in giant fog machines and with fans. Wow, I I assumed that's a model. And hoping that they get lucky, which they did a bunch of times. Okay. Yeah. And then for the wide shots of the town, those are optical composite shots. I'm going to cut in a piece from the making of Dean Cundy describing how they did it. Cool. But I'm going to play it for you guys now in in the room. We needed wide shots that showed the fog consciously moving through town and around buildings and down streets and so forth. We developed a a technique where we would photograph the city streets and the wide shots of the town. And then we would, on a stage completely blacked in, we would build a black um, sort of form or shape that replicated the buildings. And then we would photograph the stage, uh, backlit with with light to bring out the fog that we would then shoot in and we would use uh, carbon dioxide and fog, uh, dry ice essentially. So it was very low and dense and would creep and it would move around these black shapes and that corresponded to the buildings that we had photographed previously. So what we got was a fog that would react to these large buildings but move in a flowing motion seemingly with purpose. That is cool. It's so low tech. Yeah. That's incredible. It's I great. didn't even realize until this point that the fog was moving around like what was actually there, even though it wasn't there. Yeah. That's so, that's fucking clean, yeah, man. So, so good. Cool. And they the thing is, is that within sequences, there's one later, they mix like fog on location with those wider shots where it's like dry, yeah. dry ice. So there's a, there's a shot later of Mrs. Cobert's house where the fog first comes into frame and that's just fog close to camera, right? That is wiping across the very close to yep, the, yep, close yep, to the yep. camera. And then they cut to a wide shot and the wide shot is the dry ice fog on a, on a stage going around a blacked out version of the, of the, of the building. The immenseness of the fog in the outside world was crazy. I don't understand how they would have done that. Like it must've been like tons of dry ice. Well, yeah. And, and like fog juice. Yeah. Right. Different, different types of fog as well. Like All sometimes, it's, sometimes they used to do this thing where they used like beeswax to create burning huh? beeswax to create smoke, smoke as well. Right. And then, and then actual fog machines and then also dry ice. Cause it's and, like full on walls. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. a big mix of techniques. Every shot is kind of different to whatever the purpose is of that shot and whatever mm. technique works for that shot. Yeah. Meanwhile, the weatherman, 
Dan, mm. he's headed to work, listening to the radio, talking back to it, <laughs> even though she can't hear him. He's kind of funny through this. He's cool, man. I love yeah. him. It, I also like this because, again, he gets to play a different role than he plays in Halloween. Mm. He's like the, the adult, the sheriff in, who's not taking Loomis seriously in yeah. Halloween. And then this, he's kind of like goofy. And yeah. hey, I'm the goofy weatherman that's floating with the radio yeah. chicken. Yeah. Stevie tells Nick about the driftwood. And Nick and Elizabeth head out to the lighthouse. They're going to take a run out to the lighthouse. As they leave, Jamie Lee Curtis takes two steps back and picks up her beer from the bar to take with her. <laughs> yes. Because she's just, on a wacky adventure. She's yeah. having a nice time. She's on holidays. Yeah. It's uh, just one of those little actor moments that I always spot because I'm like, oh, that's just fun. You're just yeah. having a good time. You're making business for yourself. Yeah. And whether or not she was directed to do that or that's her idea, I don't I don't know. But I just love moments like that because sure. it feels real. It feels like an actor making a – feels like a choice. Yeah. You know, because it is a choice and it yeah. tells you about that person. Either it's a actor physical, or director, it's a good it's choice. It's a physical choice that tells yeah. you about that person is what I like about it. Dan, the weatherman, calls Stevie. He's going to tell her about another fog bank that's about five minutes away. Stevie jumps on the air and warns Nick via the radio about the fog heading for the weather station. So he slams on the brakes and heads mm. towards the weather station. And Stevie tries something. She turns off the lights in her lighthouse so that she can see the fog moving across the bay. And by then, <laughs> it's a real quick five minutes because it's already reached the weather station. What I didn't know at this point is, is she turning off the lighthouse or the lights in the room? Just the lights in the room so she can see. Her. Right. I was like, you're not meant to do that. I'm meant to turn off the lighthouse. <laughs> Ships need that. <laughs> do they? <laughs> Well, probably not these days. No. She tries to warn Dan, but he'd rather flirt with her. You've seen fog once, you've seen it for life. <laughs> she tells him that this fog is strange, it glows. Oh, I get it. You take a little something to keep you going, right? Does it make <laughs> you feel a little weird sometimes? Uh, How oblivious he is, is yeah. like, is one of those things people in horror movies, that, that watch horror movies always complain about, like dipshit characters, right? But, but also, I actually kind of love how dumb he is. I See, the thing is, is, He's not being dumb. The fact that got me was like, just communicate everything. Yeah, I mean, she could communicate better. Yeah. Hey, there's ghosts in the fog. You might want to turn yeah. around and he might, might Literally turn people have died. Yeah. Um, the- also, does fog rock up on a radar? Is that a thing? No. <laughs> Great you choice. cannot see fog on a, on a weather radar. <laughs> That's not how that works. Okay, great. <laughs> Uh, great choice. Ruin the movie. The power goes out at the weather station and behind him at the window, the fog is glowing. He'll be right back, except he won't be right back. <laughs> There's a knocking at the door. He opens it and Tommy Lee Wallace gets in with a hook in the neck. Yep. That's four. It was so good. Yeah. Stevie watches as the fog keeps rolling towards town and starts to freak out. There's actually like a really great acting moment of her just sitting silently watching the fog, kind of not knowing what the fuck to do. It's actually a really great moment mm. from Adrian Bobo. In town, Kathy has finished her speech to the town folk. Mixed in with the local people are a lot of crew members, including there is a prominent shot of Deborah Hill. Ah. If you know who to look for, I pointed out to Kira because I was in the room when she was watching that part. Can of you it. notice? Is it close or far away? Or it's she's close stand- enough that if you knew what she looked like, you would recognize yeah. her. Ah, she's cool. standing behind Janet Lee and Kathy, uh, right? Uh, Janet Lee and Sandy as they're to- as they're talking. Nancy Lewis. Right. Yeah. Stevie broadcast for the sheriff to call her because it's an emergency. I love how panicked this radio gets at points, hey. Yeah. Is this when she also, because she does a Brodie broadcast where she says, hey, the fog's going towards the weather station. No, not yet. She hasn't got to that part yet. Yeah. As the sheriff gets on the phone, the fog takes out some phone lines (laughs) and the phone goes out. It's a model shot. Ah, Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. 
And then the fog decides to attack the town's power generation <laughs> generators and the whole power for the town goes out. I love how, I mean, first of all, these ancient ghosts know how electricity works. <laughs> first. <laughs> fog doesn't show up on radar. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, I love in all of these shots how just, like, thick and, like, aggressive the fog rolls in through doors yeah. and windows and shit. It's so good. Stevie's off the air because she's got no power, and she sees that the fog is heading towards her house where Andy is. So she bolts downstairs to a backup generator to try to get the power back on. And at her house, Andy thinks it's neat that there's a blackout as mm. Mrs. Kobritz is lighting candles. <laughs> Don't we all, though? Yeah, I love a blackout. Yeah. Nick and Elizabeth arrive at the weather station, and it's open and empty. This is an indoor set. The truck is literally, like, pulling up inside the studio. It's being driven inside a studio oh, right. space. Because uh, it's back in LA. It's not on location. Oh. We never see the outside of it. The fog begins to roll in around the Wayne house and Stevie broadcasts for Andy to run because she's got the power back on, but so they are good. not listening to the radio. Andy! Andy, get out of the house! Mrs. Cobbett, get him out of the house! Please, run! I said, Stevie, we better close all the windows, Andy. Are your bedroom windows closed? I'll go see. All of it is great. Yeah. Nick and Elizabeth... Back in the truck, have heard Stevie, so they start heading towards the house because Stevie is just screaming her address at this point, just telling everybody where she where she lives. Go, go get my son. Mrs. Cobritz opens the door, like the way that Mrs. Cobritz waves at the fog just makes me laugh. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm surprised, but this amount of fog <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> but also, like the tension of the kid not getting in the room when he's told to get yeah, in the room. Yeah, she tells him to get in the room, and then so good, as, soon as, as soon as Andy turns his back. She's grabbed yeah. and then stabbed by three ghosts. The ghosts then start trying to break through Andy's door. Mm, love it. And Nick breaks a window and gets him out just in just in time. You can't tell me that the hand, after like the hook beats through Andy's door, you can't tell me that the hand that comes in isn't fucking creepy. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah. Like this is, this scene, this sequence is where I think the ghosts are weakest, but also there's some strong moments. I think that the problem is is that I think that the, they vary from shot to shot. In the truck, they, of course, are bogged down so that the ghosts can get closer and closer. Mm, love this. And it takes too long. It takes way too long. And I love it how long a, it takes. It takes a horror movie amount of Yes, long. I love it. At least it's not them trying to start the car because I always hate start the car. At least I they're was, bogged down, right? I was panicking and I was like, oh, my God, Nick's going to have to get out and push. <laughs> they end up reversing away just in time and the fog begins to dissipate from around the house. Is a reverse shot the reversing car? No, it's just a they're just car reversing. It's just a car. Oh, I can reverse. Because I thought it went too quick and I was like, oh. oh, was that a reverse shot? No. In town, Sandy offers to take Kathy home and she accepts as the festivities in the town. <laughs> Cars can out. reverse. <laughs> Sorry, 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 sorry. I feel like he's running like at least 20 seconds behind <laughs> real time. I've had Every so much then. caffeine, I'm sorry. Stevie starts live tweeting the location of the fog. The fog is moving inland, away from the beach, towards Antonio Bay. Oh, oh yeah. Truba, and there's a reason why she can't go save her son. Yeah. <laughs> It's basically chasing Nick's truck. 
and Sandy's car as they both come into town. And these shots are awesome. There's one shot of the truck reversing where the fog just like twists and turns into frame. It's got to be reverse, right? I don't think it's reversed. I think that they just use that's that's a shot where they got lucky. Uh, I think that's a shot where they're using winter machines and it just I know so the happens. exact shot. It's amazing. Yeah. It's great. Both cars end up having to head up to the old church because it's the only path that's open up on Beacon Hill and is also where the fog is headed. Yeah. And the fog at this point's enveloped town. <laughs> is everyone in town dead? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. They don't really address that. What happened to everybody else? They yeah, must not one. be. They must not be because if they had all been dead, then they would then the fog would stop and go back about. You know, you exactly. know what happens? Low budget filmmaking is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will ever notice. Yeah, well, everybody else was smart enough not to answer the door when we all knocked and yeah. everybody, everybody closed their windows and they're all asleep and everybody's fine. Maybe yeah. all the main people are just related to the main six. Yeah, maybe, including mm. those fishermen. Yes. Both, yes. Of the, both of the cars end up meeting at the church and they head in as the fog and the ghosts are coming up the driveway in the hell. And inside they find Malone drunk as shit. <laughs> And yeah. ready to pay for the sins of his ancestors. Yeah. They end up hiding in the study, but uh, they leave the journal in the church on a pew. And at KAB, the fog has come for Stevie as well. It swirls down the stairs. It's mm. though, again, a great shot. This is a composite shot. And around ah. and around to the lighthouse. It coming up over the over the hill yeah, yeah, and then yeah, down the right. stairs. Malone, I felt actual fear for her at this point. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. I've seen this movie too many times to feel, feel anything. Yeah, because I just did not think it was going to come for her. And then when it did, right. I was like, fuck. Malone is ranting about Blake and that Blake and his men have come for vengeance. And he tells Nick that the journal's in the church. Nick sneaks in to get it because it might be the only thing that can help them. They read it. Six must die. The three on the seagrass. The weatherman is four. Mrs. Kobitz is five. And then one of them makes six. And Malone thinks that he's going to be the six. Kathy reads aloud a part of the journal that he hadn't read that says if the dead did come back, the original father Malone's plan was to return Blake's fortune to him intact save the money they spent on these walls to hide it. Because OG Malone stole the gold they had stolen from Blake and hid it in the walls of the church. Yeah, I love that. When they were reading it, it was like, little do they know, I am the thief. I am the thief. Yeah, yeah it's so good. The ghosts start attacking the church through stained glass windows and reaching their hands through. And at KAB, Stevie blocks the door with a ladder, but it doesn't work very well because the ghosts end up breaking and she has to go upstairs. Has anyone else noticed I have that been it's watching it. I have been Shit. watching it the whole time. <laughs> Okay, the studio is now enveloped in fog. <laughs> Wait, seriously enveloped in fog? Send help. <laughs> it has been look slowly f- fogging our yeah, windows for the last, um, like, half hour. Yeah, look, look for the fog. <laughs> oh like, God, it's not a little bit happening? of fog, it's a lot of fog. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> Hold on, I have to go. <laughs> Holy shit. I love rainy day fog. It's so good. It's legitimately foggy outside right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad you brought attention to it because I was watching it and just like. I can't see. Uh, I'm looking at I'm uh, looking at part of a, uh, the side of a house. I yeah. can't see out onto the street. <laughs> okay. Okay. Back to the. We need the to get curse through. This is real. Okay. We need, to, we need to break the curse and get through this fucking podcast, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Stevie ends up hiding outside on the balcony of the lighthouse as the ghosts get in. Oh. This is some, like, uh, snake-level shit. You know what I mean? Like, walking around as the ghost is on the other side. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. Malone and Kathy start pulling down the wall that the journal was found in, 
and find a massive gold cross. Yeah. Blake, it's Blake's treasure all melted down while the others are kind of blocking the windows as the ghosts are trying to get in. And this portion of the movie is the part that really works for me. This works gangbusters. The score, the, inter, the intercutting between the two scenes. Love all like, the oh. hands coming through the windows. Yeah, I think basically from when the attack on Stevie Wayne's house with Andy trying to escape, from yeah. here to the end of the movie is like fantastic. It's yeah, just, just amazing. Malone takes the cross and walks into the church. I love Malone. Love yeah. the bravery and maybe Dutch courage, but I love Malone and how he's just like, fuck it, I'm paying for the sins. Yeah, it's interesting because it happened so long ago. It's really not his fault in any way. But he's like the father. He's, he's the relation to the sin. He's yeah. the, and like he yeah, just he, does not question he, it and he, he goes. He's yeah, a, he just takes so responsibility straight away. Yeah. He's also a man of moral fibre that yeah. has clearly already lost his way a little bit because he's mm-hmm. a little bit of a drunk, right? Yeah. So I think that it's just weighing on him. Yeah. Right? And so good. Andy's the only one that notices that Malone goes into the into the church. Then he calls out to Nick. So Nick goes into the church with, with Andy. Sandy at this point is being grabbed by a ghost from outside. So Kathy and Elizabeth are trying to free her, which kind of ties them up. They're not really mm. involved in much of the rest of the action. And in the church, Blake, his eyes glowing red, is waiting with his crew. Love it. Backlit by f- glowing fog. And this is the ghost stuff that I think works. Yeah. The stuff inside the church. The funny thing is, is I think the red eyes of Blake is a bit of an aged effect, but I also love it. I love that effect. Yeah. And the, also the, the fog has the green glow that you expect it to have yeah. for the rest of the movie in most of this stuff that yeah. it doesn't have in the rest of the movie. It's kind of got a bluish glow to it. And I love how all just the rest of the sailors or pirates or whatever they are just standing there. It's just, just such a cold moment. So Blake is played and the effects were created by the same guy. Dope. Makeup artist God, Rob Botin. Now, you guys probably don't know who Rob Botin nah, is. No, I've never heard of him. And we're going to talk about him a lot in other movies. Does he right? work with John Carpenter a lot? Yes. Okay. So before this, he created the werewolf transformation in The Howling, Joe Dante's yeah. movie. Cool. And Botin would go on to create all of the effects for The Thing. Oh, what a God. Yes. What a fucking God. He also created and designed Robocop. Oh, dope. He created Robocop. Well, he like created the design. The, the design. He built that wow, suit. Wow, that's yeah. dope. And by the way, he was 22 years old when he was in charge of the thing. <sighs> 22. That's 22. wild. What have we done with our lives? We've yeah. achieved nothing. So, yeah, Robotin is like 20 years old when he does. <laughs> so he was only, the only thing he was responsible for in this movie was the design and creation of Blake. Mm. All the other ghosts are just done by Tommy Lee Wallace and most of them are Tommy Lee Wallace, right? Yeah. Blake is designed by Rob Bertine and that is Rob Bertine in the suit because he's like six foot five. What I love is when young, talented people are given a chance to be talented. Yeah, he'd apprentice with Rick Baker and Rick Baker is one of the kind of grandfathers of, of makeup effects. He cool. did Rick Baker did the werewolf transformation in An American Werewolf in London, mm. which is a famous award-winning transformation. And we'll talk more about Bertine when we talk about the Sure. Thing. Stevie ends up climbing up on top of the roof of the lighthouse where she's attacked by a couple of ghosts. She gets stabbed by a hook, but it doesn't kill her. Yeah, but it fucking scared the shit out of me. I was so worried about her. worried about her? So worried. I like that the movie got you. I thought thought it was going to be one of those movies that just is a big fuck you at the end. Like, no happy ending, big fuck you. There's a tiny fuck you. There is, but it's a good one. Obviously, the the roof is a set as well in in a studio. And all of the stuff on top of the lighthouse was added in the reshoots. Oh, oh dope. Right. How do you feel about when they pull the, you'll get there, but how do you feel about when they pull off the, the when Stevie pulls off the mask? 
It's, there's no mask. She just stabs him. No, but there's a. She pulls something off and no, sees the face. She stabs him with the hook, and you just see the see the face. Oh, oh! I thought there was like a sack or something that she pulled off the nope. face. Uh, it happens in a second. We get yeah, glowing worm face. Yeah. Also added in, in obviously because the whole scene. Was what do you added. think of those effects? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I thought it was nice. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck happened with her in the original movie. In the original yeah, because if movie. you don't have that, then is she just creeping around the outside of the lighthouse for like the last ten minutes, and, and then, then it just. <laughs> Shit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of feels like. Unless the creeping around the lighthouse was also added. I don't think it was. Uh, As far as I know, only the stuff on the roof was what was added in the reshoots. Yeah, that's weird. It could have just been her like holding them outside, you know, and like being like, oh God, somebody help me. I I think they clearly gave her more action to to kind of beef up the scene. That's definitely a choice. Malone gives the gold back to Blake. He wants Blake to take him. Blake grabs the cross and it glows white. And just as Stevie is about to be killed by the two ghosts that are stalking her on the roof, Nick pulls Malone off the cross, both metaphorically and literally. Uh, (laughs) Nice. And Blake and the ghosts and the fog in the church all disappear. Everybody kind of takes a breath. Because they have their money back. Yep. Yep. By the way, this is the only time in the movie that Janet Leigh and Jamie Lee Curtis are on screen together. Oh, right. Nice. Yeah. Well, aren't they on screen together when he when they're saving in the bar. from the window? Sorry, yeah, correct. There is one, another thing. So they have a couple of scenes together. They would come back together on screen in 1998 for a very brief scene in Halloween H20. Oh, oh, oh. damn it. Oh, oh Miss Tate, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to make you jump. It's okay. Well, hey. It's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. I've had my share. Oh, really? Definitely is in Halloween H20. Who is she in? She's like a secretary. Oh, okay. They even, they fucking, they do this thing where she gets into the same car that she drives away in in Psycho and they play part of the Psycho score. Oh, Miss Tate. uh, Happy Halloween. How would it be to be a mother and daughter horror icon? You know what I mean? Yeah. What fucking... That's awesome, man. Yeah. At the lighthouse, the fog recedes, pulling away from Stevie. It's a backward shot. She's acting in reverse. Of course. Oh, shit. Yep, yep, yep. That must be so difficult. Yeah. The whole fog begins to lift up over the bay. It's over. It's all over. Stevie begins broadcasting back over the radio. She says... I don't know what happened to Antonio Bay tonight. Something came out of the fog and tried to destroy us. In one moment, it vanished. But if this has been anything but a nightmare, and if we don't wake up to find ourselves safe in our beds, it could come again. To the ships at sea who can hear my voice, look across the water into the darkness. Look for the fog. which is a lift. It's a stylistic lift Ah. from a speech at the end of one of Carpenter's favorite movies and the movie he would remake in a few years, The Thing from Another World, which ends with a broadcast that says, Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world, tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the skies. Oh, I love, I love the uh, speech really, but it's more of a like radio 
sum up at the end of those old movies mm. when there's like a big battle or a horror or something and they like send a warning. I love those finishes to movies. And then? And then? <clears throat> Alone in the church, Malone questions to himself why he was spared. Why not six, Blake? Why not six, Blake? Why not me? Why not me? And the fog returns and so do the ghosts. And we cut to black as Blake swings his cutlass at Malone's neck. So good. See, those it's red eyes really do work. And when I say... The, and the green glow. Yeah. Like, that shot is great. That shot is like an all-timer. When I say they age, I'm just saying, like, the effect. Like, you can... In modern lens, you see it clearly as an effect. But it works so good for the scene. The piece of wood was right. Six must die. Six must die. Yeah. Not it wasn't six. Not six. six could die. Yeah. If we get our gold back, we might reconsider. <laughs> which is probably too much text to put on the wood anyway. Yes. But six Real must small die. font. Yeah. <laughs> Inappropriate age to have seen the fog. Mm. That's difficult. Because it's creepy and I feel like although the horror elements aren't there, the fucking look at that window, by the way. It's coming in hard and heavy. <laughs> the creepiness, I think, would almost affect a kid more. Yeah, and it's not like fun scary. Yeah. Like it's fun for it's, us. It's fun it's for not, yes. It's not yes. fun yes, yes, for yes, us. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because we're talking yeah. about children. Like it's not, yeah. it's not like sword goofy, fights. scary. And, and yeah, it's not. Yeah. And chase scenes and stuff. It's more creepy. So I feel like older would enjoy it. Yeah. So I'm going to go like enjoyment factor. You'd need to be a teenager. 12 to 13, I feel like this is an actual horror movie for you. Yeah, that's a good age for like camp ghost stories. Yeah. Which is basically Which what, is basically this, mo- what, what this, this movie is. is. Yeah. So yeah, like sleepover with your mates watching like- it at when one o'clock you're really in the morning. young and trying to like have like one of those early dates with a girl and you want cuddles. You know what I mean? <laughs> Pull a Tom Atkins. Yeah. So how old were you? It was actually difficult for me to figure out. So I have a range. I think I was probably between six and eight. Yeah, that's too young, I feel, for this. Yeah. That would have been fucking scary. No I mean, that's why I like wanted the movie to be. Yeah. I don't want this now. Yeah. <laughs> this not, this is, we don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> would you watch this movie again if you're in free will? A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I mean, I bought the 4K. Yeah. I don't know if I would put it on. Like, I don't know whether I would go out of my way to watch it again for me, but I definitely wouldn't turn it off. And under the right circumstances, like a Halloween party or something, I can imagine going, yeah, let's all get creeped out by this movie. Sure. A rating for this movie. The way that we rate movies is on a five-star scale, with one being I hated this movie, two being I didn't like this movie, two and a half being I liked parts of this movie, it was fine, three being I liked this movie, four being I loved this movie, five being this is one of my favourite movies of all time. I, from talking about the pod, uh, talking on it, talking, talking about, about the pod, on the pod. Talking about the fog on the pod? Yes. Fog on the pod. The fog pod. Um, In the fog. <laughs> yes. Um, I think both the mood and the chat has has increased my rating for this. Ellie asked me last night what I would rate it, and I was like somewhere between a three and a four. This is a 4.5 for me. Ooh, oh, wow. wow. Yeah. That's much higher than I was I, expecting. I really did love this movie. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's really good. Good for you. I'm glad. Yeah, I was going to give it a three, but you're right. The conversation might bump it up to a 3.5. I think the effects work and finding out about how they did the fog makes it a 3.5 for me. Nice. Because that makes me love aspects of this film. Yes. the fog. Yes. Whereas I just kind of like the plot. All right, ready? Yep. Strapping kids. For the section of the podcast I'm calling Ghost Math, 
Ghost math. <laughs> Ghost math. Ghost math. My thoughts about this movie, and I'm taking this movie in the totality of John Carpenter's filmography because that's the only Ooh, way that I can do it. That's Because tough. I love John Carpenter. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Yeah, sure. so it does make it tough. I think that Carpenter bit off more that he could chew for the, this movie, and it is one of the first times and perhaps one of the only times that his ambition was beyond his budget. Mm. And my math for that, and this is why it's called Ghost Math, is because... Halloween was made for 300 grand, right? Mm-hmm. And shot in like 18 days. This movie was budgeted at a million dollars. Oh, wow. And shot in 30 days. Now that ended up getting bumped to a million one with the re- with the reshoots. Yeah. Which seems massive when you have just made Halloween for 300 grand. Mm. It, for like no money, basically, right? Yeah. But not when you're trying to make this movie. I think this movie is so much bigger than its than its yeah. budget, right? And I think in lots of different ways, in regard to how many actors and locations they are, in in terms of the effects work, in terms of everything that he's trying to do, is a much bigger film. And I think that it's clear from the fact that they had to do all those reshoots, they struggled to get all the shots they needed on location. They had to make script compromises because they can only have Hal Holbrook in LA for like a very limited number of days. He never leaves the church. Right, he never has any interactions oh, with everybody else. Yeah. Right, Adrian only has face-to-face scenes with her son. Talks to a lot of people on the phone. Oh, but fuck! She never has face-to-face scenes that with anybody else. That blows me out. They don't have elaborate makeup effects for all of the ghosts. They only have effects work for Blake. So it's just crew members. And I've already talked about the fact that I think that that some of that stuff looks kind of cheap. And I think that that's the reason. I think they just bit off more than they could chew for this for this movie. They even talk about the fact that like when they were doing the reshoots, so a lot of the time it was just Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace in a dark soundstage together just shooting bits and pieces yeah and i think for me while the movie has a great vibe i love the feel of the movie and the atmosphere of the movie and obviously i'm it's one of my favorite carpenter scores i think all those things for me stop it from coming together in a really satisfying way i like all the parts of this movie yeah i even love some of the parts of this movie but as a whole there's just something about it that puts it lower in his film in his filmography. I agree, and that is not to say that I don't like the movie because I really like the movie. Yeah, right. It's just for me lower on a list of Carpenter movies because there are other movies of his that I think are as close to perfect as 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 yeah a movie could possibly get. So it's a three point five. Three point five. Yeah. I think while I don't disagree with anything you said, and I think it's very accurate, I still really, I still think my my score stands yeah, for I, me because I, I really it, just enjoyed everything about it. Yeah, and and I, if that works for you, then yeah. I wish it worked for me. But the I see other the thing flaws. Is, I the other see thing the is, flaws. I really wish it worked that well on yeah. me. Like it's John Carpenter, right? So yeah. I really wish I loved this movie. And although I did just list a bunch of like grievances or things I think are yeah. wrong with the movie, they're like minor subtractions. They're really just a rationalization for why it's not my favorite Carpenter movie. Yeah. But I don't think that any of them are terminal. I don't think that any, th- any of them are like- You wish that you could see the movie where he had all the money that he needed. Yeah, I wish, I want to see the- t- $10 million version of this movie. I was just thinking imagine like how, how amazing because imagine how incredible that movie is. But how cool would it be if he revisited the fog, you know? But also Carpenter, Carpenter had more control at lower budgets. So he also is sometimes better at a lower budget than he is at a higher budget. Mm. Like when he had higher budget, sometimes things you didn't, get go, creative. Well. Things didn't yeah. go well, right? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. 
There is a remake of this movie from 2005, The Wave. Not by John Carpenter? No. Oh. No. Uh, checks cashed by John Carpenter. Yeah, man. <laughs> right. That is fucking horrendous. Did he have anything to do with it? No, nothing. Horrendous in a funny it. way? It's just real bad. It's the most early 2000s. It's got Tom Wellings from Smallville as the lead. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And the female lead is- <laughs> I love that guy in a terrible way. <sighs> the, the female lead is- uh, Oh, what's his name? I've forgotten, her, I've got, forgotten that actress's name. She's in Lost- She's the she's the sister. Oh, I know who you mean. What the hell is her name? The funny thing is, is I think there's bits to this movie. Oh, which and, are, sorry, and Selma Blair. Selma Blair Selma. plays Stevie Wayne. Oh, okay. And she's okay. She's she's okay. But also, it's 2005, so it's all horrendous CGI. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. True. Is the remake in the same location? No. Are they still in a lighthouse? Yeah. Good. But it's yeah. So Can you imagine if they took away the that actress is bastards. like the best bit. <laughs> that actress is Maggie Grace. Is Maggie her name. Grace. Is her name. Right. Thank yeah. you. Next week. My choice. My choice. The way that we Exciting. pick movies. I think I already know what I'm picking, but you know, we'll see where the can tries to <laughs> fuck me over with that. Yeah, I mean, why would I fuck myself over with that? I mean, I do all the time. So yeah, pretty much every week. Yeah. Okay. The way that we pick movies is that Kira and Brody alternate taking turns, picking from a list of three choices I have prepared from the store. This week is Kira's pick. If a movie remains unpicked for three times, it's struck out and taken off the list. Although I can bring it back at a later date of my choosing. There's only one film on the list because Brody was very gracious in picking The Fog and let Guy of a Dark Hero fall off. The the list and it will come back sooner than sometime maybe one day i trust you yep so the only movie that's on the list is prince of darkness john carpenter's prince of darkness mm-hmm. with one strike which is what i wanted Brody to pick anyone in close proximity has the same dream what is it a secret that can no longer be kept it started a month ago what started? A change in the earth and the sky. Yes, I know, I know, but I'm so excited in which about in, another John yeah, Carpenter I don't, movie. I don't mind that we watched it. In which in preparation I bought the 4K off oh. this as well. <laughs> so it'd be funny if I didn't pick it. Oh, if you guys don't pick it, I'm watching John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness this week. Like, yeah. that's not going to matter. Yeah, no, I so hear you. I get to have a good time no matter what. The great thing is I know how much I love John Carpenter, but I never go out of my way to watch him. And I'm so glad that we've done this because I just it's reinvigorated my love for him. Well, as you said last week, you feel like you should have seen The Fog and now you've seen The Fog. Yes. And we got to do it together, which is yeah. what's awesome about movies, yeah. right? And it elevates, doing this chat elevates movies oh, yeah, for me. Totally. Yeah. It's the fucking best. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to see our other choices? I would or like just, to see okay. yeah. We had a conversation yesterday about like whether, whether or not it was worth me even putting other picks on the list or if this was like automatic or whatever, right? <laughs> and then, and you were like, yeah, well, you know, just don't fuck yourself by putting something on the list that I'm going to pick over this, right? And I was like, okay, well, I could pick two duds. But I don't want to pick two duds because I don't nah. want to talk about duds, right? Yeah, exactly. Because then it also just sets well, them up for next week. I didn't think that you were going to pick no, duds. No, no, no. I I know, but you know what I mean. Like, pick things that I know. Yeah, or pick things that I know that you wouldn't necessarily be interested yeah. in, right? Yeah. So, and also I like the road that we're on at the moment. Like, I've really enjoyed the flow of movies that we've been watching, right? Can I just say, I love how you are so decisive and I'm so like, <laughs> fuck like, man, I cut you I, down. People just change me all I the time. I cut your decision making down. <laughs> From last week. Uh, so much. Yeah, it takes me a couple of minutes. It takes you like half an hour. <laughs> anyway, so I picked it. I'm putting a movie on the list 
that is it's another good one. I'm, I'm actually excited. putting two. I'm actually putting two good other good ones on the list with the thought that you had kind of already decided what you were gonna what you were gonna do, setting them up for next week and for the week after and for whatever and for whatever else, right? But you're worried that I'm, I'm worried change that you're my just mind. gonna change your mind. It's okay. <laughs> this has Princess another Duchess chance though. You chance. can always Birdie can always pick it next. Yeah. Week. yeah, yeah. Oh, does it? Oh, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. So the first movie I'm adding <laughs> is a movie I've already mentioned on the podcast today. Ooh. I'm adding the Australian Osportation <gasps> thriller Shit. starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Stacey Keach. I'm adding Road Games. Road Games. Road Games. What the hell? The truck driver plays games. The hitchhiker plays games. Aren't you kind of young to be hitchhiking out here all by yourself? Aren't you kind of old to be picking me up? And a killer is playing the deadliest game of all. Oh it's got God. a little Australian flag on the front? Yeah, because it's an Australian movie, mate. Oh, my God. Even though God. it has two American stars. That is so Aussie. There's something that about that does cover. does look very, very Aussie. Okay. Oh, look at that. Look of her on the front cover. I know, right? Oh, my God. In the white bloody suit with the nice hat. Jesus. In the Outback, mate. Road games on the world's loneliest highway. It's not a game. It's murder. Can I read the back? No. Mm. No, we don't do that anymore. And third on the list, well, you summoned him and he shall appear. Beetlejuice? Candyman? No. Uh, you said his name earlier on the podcast. You said it's been a while since we've done Charles Band. Ah. Oh, my God. So I'm adding to the list. Charles Band's. Oh, no. Zone Troopers. <gasps> Shit. Zone Troopers. It takes war to another dimension. Oh, we're going to be in a situation where we're not going to get to see something that we want to see. No, 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 no. I mean, no. Not this Brody week, just, but I mean, like, because these three I mean, are all good and then he'll, he'll give other things and then no, I can just see no, one of these no, falling no. off eventually. No, we have to see all of them. I agree. I'm you just got, saying. You whenever guys say that all the time and then you take the whatever the new choice is. <laughs> you just guys, you guys just had a plan. So like cast your minds back. It was Showdown Little Tokyo, Darkman and Guyver Dark Hero. And you were like, we have to watch all three of these. And both Darkman and Guyver Dark Hero oh, fell, off the, no. fell off the list. Because Halloween turned up. <laughs> Zone Troopers, that has been... The, and this trailer was... ...foretold of a couple thing. of pods. It's a live-action EC comic. Oh. It's highly inspired by EC comics. This is one of the trailers we saw on one of an early, one early of the very earliest, yeah. One of the very earliest episodes, and I bought the tape straight away. Oh, you fucking great man. The only thing that's making me not want to pick Prince of Darkness... Oh, God damn, what have I done? <laughs> it's my own fault. Is the fear that things are going to fall off the list, and I feel like I feel like Road Games is going to end up dropping out because Zone Troopers and things. But what you're not taking into consideration is that if I pr- pick Prince of Darkness, you only get one shot at these two because but, I've got this shot. Yeah. And then they'll have one strike, and then you get a shot at him. If you then don't pick them, pick one of them. I only have one more shot at, at it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's why I feel like one of these is going to fall off I the feel list. Like I'm picking Prince of Darkness. I was just oh, trying really? to fuck with you. But I'm just saying that. <laughs> oh, I love you. I'm just saying that one of these, one of Zone Troopers and Road Games is definitely going to end up falling off the list. Look, I will say that these are Whichever such one you hard don't pick- cinema. I think I'm going to pick 
like, you only get to pick one of them. See, I feel like these are such two vastly different parts of cinema. If anything, I'd just like a regular to watch both. cinema. I'd love comes. to watch both of them. I'm just saying, I, I, I can see the future, and one of these is not getting picked. I feel picked. like you're setting me up for heartbreak, yeah? <laughs> I'm just warning you that heartbreak is coming. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. I'm obviously picking Prince of Darkness. Fuck, don't. Yeah. Oh, don't. Sorry. There was no world in which. Unless oh, he put so Bill and Ted on there, I was picking Prince of Darkness. Oh, don't. You do this every time. You <laughs> give him ideas and he fucks us. Yep. From the creator of Halloween Starman and Big Trouble in Little China. It's a weird selection <laughs> of movies to promote. Fucking awesome. Fantastic. I'm yeah. very excited to talk about the Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. This is just turning into the Carpenter pod. Come back. It also next means week. extra week of Halloween. Yay. Speaking of <laughs> yeah, darkness. It does mean an extra week of spooky. Okay. My deepest, darkest. I think the thing that actually horrifies me, um, I can sum it up best with a dream, a recurring dream that I have from time to time. I don't know what spurs it on but it happens every now and again um i'm in a submarine and i know doesn't make sense and i'm in like the command center of a submarine right and alarms are going off shit's going on subs not well it's going down and all you can hear is creaking and bang doors burst open bang doors burst open it's getting closer bang doors burst open and you know it's about to come through your final, like, door, and then bang. Nothing. Black. That is the most horrifying shit just done. So you have a fear of the moment before death. Basically, it's having zero chance to save myself or anyone else. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not a fear of submarines or no. water. <laughs> no, it's, it's a situation. It's, yep. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, there you go. For more interesting facts about Brody's inner workings, please leave us another review, positive don't, or negative. We find like, interesting things. Don't subscribe. No, nah, don't do. come back for John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Definitely do all Definitely of those come things. Back. About, about that thing that's down in the church that I'm not going to talk about right now. That's really exciting. <laughs> Satan. Do all of those things. Follow us at Weird Kid Video. Leave us a review because we like them, whether they're giving us shit or telling us we're awesome. We like all reviews. Yeah. And... <laughs> I think there's a fog bank out there. Look for the yeah, fog. Yeah, I'm not. Wor- I'm a little worried about leaving today. <laughs> Maybe See. we should just stay here till next week. I think we should. Just one sniff of that fog, and you're inside.